George Carlin didn't didn't teach me about those <laughs> those words. <laughs> no kidding, isn't that the truth? At <laughs> uh, home, that's a feck. Feck, feck, yeah. No, that's a good one. I like that just, one. That's yeah. the more sanitized version. Uh-huh. Is it just <laughs> F E C K then? Yeah, fascinating. Yeah. I love that. I like that one. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I enjoy that one. Yeah, I guess I, now that you say that, I guess I've I've definitely heard yeah, that before. Uh, yeah, yep. feck off. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's 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 respectable. Yeah, and then yeah. you yeah. Just switch the yeah. E to the U, and then it's not. Even a, though you mean <laughs> the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> People are less offended. Uh well, I feel like we should talk about where we are. Uh, Once th- again, yeah, we're back. We are in the Kieran's, the, just the food building, the Kieran food yeah, building. Food, what are we? Yeah, food building. Okay, so it's the food building, and inside of this, uh, we have red table meats. Table we have Alemar cheese. Uh, Alamar cheese. Or Alamar cheese. Sorry. Uh, Bakersfield flour and bread. There's leche. And Kieran's kitchen, which we're actually going to be changing the name to food building. Cafe and market. Oh, really? To really represent more about, because uh, it's really the factory shop. Sure. That's the whole idea. So to tell more of the story of the entirety yeah, of the building. Yeah, yeah. Highlight, promote, and build the brands yeah. and the building and like-minded people that we work with on the outside. Great. I feel like on one hand, it would be strange to have to say your own name when you're talking about a restaurant, but you've been doing it for so long. It kind of just comes, does it, is it, does it f- ever feel weird? I remember, you know, Neil Justin, he's the media critic for the Star Trib. Uh, he's been there for 30-odd years. I met him first when he was uh, doing Nightcrawlers, and that was probably 1997 or so. We've stayed friends ever since. And I remember when I was moving from uh, Molly Malone's, moving it over to the original Kieran's, and uh, he said, uh, we were having a chat one night. He's given up the drink now about six or seven years ago, and he's doing well on it. He needed to give it up. Um, and uh, we are having a drink, and we had some legendary drinks together. <laughs> uh, he, uh, I, I, we're discussing our personalities, and I am said, actually, really at heart, I'm an introvert. An introvert, he says. <laughs> you named a fucking pub after yourself. <laughs> yeah, said, well, there was another thinking behind that. Yeah. Okay. It's a pretty good call out. Yeah, yeah that's okay. legit. All right. Uh, well, I feel like uh, if we're going to go down that road a little bit, we should just have you introduce yourself uh, and, and, and who you are uh, to our lovely crowd, our listeners out there. So uh, this is Kieran Folliard. Uh, I... I met you years and years ago. Have we started now? Yeah. We were just we hot rolling. We roll. We like to, yeah. <laughs> we're sneaky like that. Right? Someone walking in on a barroom conversation. Sure. We're yeah, already yeah. doing yeah. it. Uh, so I knew you first through, through your namesake pub. Right. And uh, was that when you emigrated here, when you, when you came here, was that where it started? With the bars? Uh, no, no. I came here in 1987, April 16th, 1987, the day, and it was Holy Thursday. Well, Holy Thursday. And people ask, well, uh, how do you remember that it was Holy Thursday? I says, because on Good Friday, people were going around on rollerblades and in and out of bars, and I said, this is a heathen country. <laughs> oh, it is. Because <laughs> up until about, yeah, up until about 10 years ago, the, yeah. the pubs in Ireland, the only day of the year they were not allowed to open, only day was Good Friday. Really? Now, that did not mean you couldn't get into one. <laughs> yeah, okay. But you couldn't go in the front door. Yeah, that's good. You couldn't. And funnily enough, uh, or ironically enough, I suppose, the first streak that took 
place in my whole area in a rural community in the west of Ireland in County Mayo happened on Good Friday night, well, it was technically uh, Holy Saturday because it was about three o'clock in the morning. Sure, sure, sure. And uh, John Dolly Morley uh, was the man who put a, a jar up on the bar. The place was packed, but it was only about the size of this room here sure. that we're in, which is fairly small. And uh, he said, as soon as that's full, he says... I'll be the first man to streak in the area. Sure, everybody has taken <laughs> 10 shilling notes and old pounds. It was the old money into the jar. Dolly stripped off. And Dolly Hornets, my hometown, is a, it's a cross. Sure. And so, 3 o'clock in the morning, out the door he goes with just his shoes on. Up and down the streets. <laughs> up and down, up and down, up and down. And we're all following him. <laughs> Oh my god, just the shoes like Sonic the Hedgehog. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> he, came back, he came back into the bar and the jar had one 10 shilling note left in it. He made the critical mistake of, of leaving not the money? taking the money <laughs> oh out my before god. he left. That <laughs> poor yeah. guy. Yeah. I like, I like though, that my, my grandmother... His clothes gone too? Hold on. Where's he? Yeah. I know, not the clothes are still there. They wouldn't just have fitted anybody else. He was the biggest man in the area. <laughs> <laughs> that makes it even funnier to picture. It's it's funny. I um, my 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 grandmother uh, used to tell a story very very similar. Uh, she lived in a town called Evansville, population five hundred. You know, small small town, and there are like five little towns that are all there. It's uh, like mm. Ashby and and Brandon, and they're all just teeny little towns with a couple hundred people. And uh, Asheville, or yeah, I think it's Asheville is the name of it. One of the towns. Uh, somebody had gone streaking there, and so we don't associate with people from that town oh. because they are lewd and lascivious. Uh. And that was it. Was and the only story was that one time somebody went streaking and ran around the main intersection of town. But that was enough that years <laughs> later, my grandmother still would say like, "Oh, we we don't we don't talk to people from that town." Sounds about right. <laughs> Yeah, isn't it funny how those things stick in? My mother, God rest her, uh, I came home from school. This would be the equivalent of high school, secondary school, we called it. And I was uh, 17, I think. Was I 16 or 17 at the time? Long time ago, 50 years ago. And uh, she said, uh, we need to talk. Uh, this is unusual. She sat me down beside the fire. And she had an envelope, a big envelope in her hand. And uh, she said, uh, this isn't good. And she takes out a picture of a very large-breasted woman <laughs> naked <laughs> playing pool, snooker. <laughs> and there was also a condom in there as well, <laughs> as we call them French letters. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy who would remain nameless, but it was a friend of mine who had gone to London and he sent them over and he put a note in with it to say, put this up down at the snooker hall. The picture <laughs> in yeah. the village, not the French letter. And my mother threw them into the fire. And I said, oh. well, why did you open it? <laughs> And she said, well, there was a stamped piece on it that said, in Her Majesty's Secret Service, I thought you were going to join the British Army. I said, for God's sake, woman. <laughs> well, the, the guy, my buddy, who is now a very highly respected member of the community and so forth, 
to the day my mother died. Oh, that fella. Oh, yeah. Okay. He, yeah. Just, he was not going to win on that one. That's as, amazing. As mothers are wont to do. Yes. That, that makes sense. Like, she Holding never forget that. the grudge. What oh. a totally opposite surprise she had in store when she thought yeah. it was from the army and it turned out it was... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Naked yeah, well, lady Well, I'd say if there was some of what I saw in that picture in the army, you get people that sign up quicker. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> so you did get a gander at it. I did. Oh, I did yeah. get a gander. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. she wanted me to know full well that this is uh, well one what got her fired up and two uh, maybe to uh, to tell me uh, you know have me think that uh, well boy I missed out on that one so I, yeah. <laughs> I bet you remembered it though I, do, I as, still remember as a it. young man yeah, right exactly <laughs> I, I was going to ask oh, you if you still remember because as a young man you see something like that you're like, it's seared into your brain yes. like, oh. gets, gets into all the important spots of your brain oh, oh, that's amazing yeah, so that was the equivalent to your grandmother yeah video. there you go oh that's great so <laughs> alright <laughs> so streaking aside uh, you end up here yeah. and uh, and then shortly thereafter you opened uh, a pub no, I got connected here originally because I worked in Saudi Arabia in 1977, 78, 79 for an Irish food company. Two farmers, actually, from Northern Ireland, Alistair and Paddy McGuckian. And they had a distribution. They established a dairy products business in Saudi Arabia. I mean, it was a, it's amazing. It's probably the most successful indigenous brand in the entire Persian Gulf today. Wow. It's called Al Marai. Farms in the middle of the desert, on and on and on. Uh, and we had a distribution for Cargill. I never worked for them, but that was an original connection with here as well. And then I worked with a guy, Dennis Anderson, when I came here first. And Dennis did all of the HR and... Uh, Funding as well for startup companies. So I got to meet Scotty Olson with Rollerblades. Wow. Bob Walker with Select Comfort. They were all trying at starting these businesses. Wow. They weren't launched. They were just beginning to get launched. That's fascinating. Yeah, the Breathe Right guy. I've forgotten his name now. But uh, yeah, it was exciting. So that kind of helped with the entrepreneurial bug as well to be around a lot of sure. these characters. Yeah, I bet. Some of them I still see to this day. Was, did you see something common with all of them? Like, was there like just sort of that spark and that, that push, something that you identified with? I would say what I saw with all of them. The one story I tell you about uh, uh, what Scotty Olson's, the rollerblades had no brakes on them at that time. Uh, and, and Bob Walker, the, the original Select Comfort, I remember his, he and his wife were up in their warehouse in Brooklyn Park. And I went in there and here was the prototype of the Select Comfort bed. And he got it going. And it was like a 747 taken off. <laughs> yeah. I said, this is supposed to be for fucking people to go to sleep. Yeah. So he has, I mean, you'll, you'll destroy them. Oh, he said, no, we're working it. So it was really, they had the vision. They had to work through it. But sure. the one thing I learned with every single one of them, they started. Boom. They started. Didn't talk about it. Didn't wait for perfection. <laughs> yep. Didn't wait till it was all right. Sure. Start. Amazing. Start, yeah. So that was good. But I got fed up with the corporate world after, well, I was fed up with it probably all along. And then just decided, you know what they say, the best entrepreneurial ideas come from solving your own problem. My problem was there were no Irish pubs in this market. Mm. There were good, very good American Irish pubs, some of them still around, like McGovern's Pat over there. And obviously, well, the Dubliner wasn't around at the time, so it wasn't. Uh, Tom Scandley, I just lost a bet to him yesterday uh, with the Dubliner. I have to buy him dinner at, uh, at Murray's uh, next week. Um, mm -hmm. 
uh, O'Gara's was here, it's no longer there as well. But they were really American-Irish compared to what was happening okay. in the Irish pub world. Sure. And so I decided to open a pub. And uh, it was originally it was in a partnership with John Ramarsek, who owns, of course, Monte Carlo and a lot of yeah. other things, and a lot of real estate downtown. And we had Molly Malone's, where uh, Waters was. Uh, then it became Howdish eventually, beside Runyon's. Yep. And uh, some legendary stories there. Whitey was still working part-time <laughs> at, uh, at uh, what do you call it, at, uh, at uh, Runyon's. Yeah. All mighty stories. But... Uh, it really didn't kind of work out as a kind of a partnership. It was all fine. It was in John's, uh, obviously, legendary in this market in the restaurant world. But I decided to go out on my own and went over to uh, a customer of mine, Mike Meats, great, another great character who was running Toll Financial, was in the building where Kieran's was, the old one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he said, there's, you know, there's a vacant space downstairs. And it used to be um, uh, the Irish Elephant. And he said, it's still, it's got cobwebs and stuff. I said, I'll be over tomorrow to have a look at it. And I went over. I thought, yeah, perfect. Shitty location, but a great big patio. And I said, I can do it, you know. So, uh, and all the employees from Manny Malone's, I didn't ask one of them, but every single one of them came over for front of house. Uh, Some of the kitchen didn't, but all front of house all came over. And uh, Patricia was with me. Patricia is still one of the owners with the pubs nowadays. So that was it. That was December 16th, 1993. Amazing. Wow. Uh, 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 March 16th. And then that grew into a family of of pubs. Uh, And then you pivoted and started making spirits. Well, I don't know necessarily if it would be called a pivot. Uh, um, I would say really one of the things that I was, because um, I would not be a very good operator, and so I had some very good people uh, that worked with me that were operators. You know, they had hospitality degrees. Uh, they had worked in the business. They'd been trained. Um, some very good people, but that would not have been my, you know, you wouldn't want me making cocktails, so you wouldn't, you know. I mean, I could pour a pint of Guinness as good as anybody. Sure. But that was pretty much the limits of my, my skill. Somebody says, well, now, did you never work in the pub business? I, I said, I worked in Val Rattigan's bar one summer when I was about 14 or 15. I said, well, that must have been good experience. And I said, hell no, it wasn't good experience. They said, how come? I says, because there was only two ingredients in every drink in Val's bar. Yeah. And one of them was a glass. Yeah. And was, there were no mixes. There was no ice. There yeah. were no straws. The there was thing. no fruit. Nobody yeah. had scurvy. You know, I mean, just you know, give it a straight. You want whiskey? There's whiskey. You want a beer? There's beer. Yeah. That was right. it, literally. So it didn't qualify you for much. <laughs> so it wasn't. And so really my thing would have been you know how do you work with with people with teams and question and how do you continue to have even minimal innovation and keep stay fresh but stay true to kind of who you are yeah and uh, certainly with the local one of the things was was it could easily have gone in another direction in terms of what it really stood for and so one of the challenges i gave the guys one time was how do we sell more irish whiskey in the uh, summer than we do in the winter Mm. And that led to trademarking Big Ginger, you know, it was Irish whiskey, right. ginger ale over mm. ice in a Collins glass. I've made thousands of those in my day. <laughs> <laughs> lemon, lemon and lime, yep. and, you know, I mean, you know, there, I think the thing was to just like look for something to trademark. And it took years before it actually surpassed the sales of um, uh, in the summer in, uh, versus the winter. 
Well, we're looking at a bottle of your Irish whiskey here. Uh, do you want to go into the, the story of where that, where that came from? I'd be happy to, yeah. I mean, we should probably have a wee drop of it. I don't see why not. Slaunch it. Slaunch it. Your good health, Charles. Your good health. Nice to be with you. As my friend uh, says, it has a taste of more of it. (laughs) Give me more. Give me more. (laughs) That's nice. I like that. Uh, Well, you know, Two Gingers was, kind of came out at the pubs. Honestly, uh, Jameson, that's of course, well, many of your, your, followers would know, mm-hmm. uh, is owned by Pernod Ricard, the mm-hmm. French company, and they've done an amazing job of building up the brand, no question about it, and uh, fair dues to them. But 2010, they put up the price of Jameson three times, and we're a public house. You know, you can't put up the price of your drinks three yep. times. Now you can because of bloody inflation and whatnot, <laughs> but back then you couldn't, and it would have been against my values as well. And so honestly, I called up John Teeling. I had met him in 1985, so this was 2010. Called him up, said, here's what we're doing with Irish whiskey in America, uh, uh, these four pubs that I had. And I said, but I want to come up with our own blend and our own brand. And your master distiller is Noel Sweeney. He's Ireland's premier uh, distiller. Well, uh, he certainly, Barry Crockett would have been the, the top guy at the time with, uh, with Middleton. Uh, but Noel was certainly num- up there number two. Sure. And would be number one now based on you know his history and his innovations. He's also chairman of the technical file for all Irish whiskey. And I said, he's from County Mayo. So let's get working. He said, come on over. So I went over. We came up with, I wanted a very nice standard base Irish whiskey that would work well in, in a pub and would work well in a big ginger. And Chet, we launched it uh, the following year, March 16, 2011. Funnily enough, Beam uh, turned around and they bought the <laughs> distillery in Ireland, and that was a bit of a surprise. In fact, I, I remember. So, my uh, full disclosure: I worked uh, at one of Kieran's pubs, uh, the namesake Kieran's pub. Is that what you called it? Is <laughs> uh, that the uh, OG location that you were? No, no, no. no. I went there a lot. Uh, I drank sure, there a lot, but I, yeah. I had just moved back to Minnesota. And at the time, uh, I was just DJing full time. So seven days a week, I had nothing to do. And I was going through a criminal amount of money just because I had nothing to do with my time. And I ran into Tim Schaff at, uh, sure. at an Asian restaurant in downtown that's no longer there. And I was telling my issue to the bartender that I needed to find a bartending gig, but I couldn't get hired anywhere because n- everybody wanted me to have weekend availability. And I was DJing mm-hmm. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And Tim turned around and he said, we're having the damnedest time trying to find people that will work Twins games because it's very close to the stadium. Mm. Um, but nobody wants to take the job because they all want to work weekends. But those shifts were already gobbled up by the crew that you had had there for years. And so it was a, a perfect puzzle piece that fit. And uh, I, I walked in and uh, Paul Crilly uh, had been my favorite <laughs> bartender back when he worked at O'Donovan's. Sure. On Sunday nights, it was the most legendary service industry night. Uh, and, uh, and Paul definitely benefited from those nights. Yeah. Uh, but he remembered me instantly, and I think he hired me before I had even filled out a, uh, an application. And then my second day at work was your first day bottling two gingers. Oh, wow. And so I got to oh, go, okay. and I listened to this incredible story about how it was uh, the last independent Irish distillery. Yeah. And then, what was it, six months or a year later that oh, Bean bought was, them? It was, uh, it was December of... Um, 2012. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was just, it was crazy no, how quick that happened. No, it was January of 2012. It yep. was just after we launched that they bought it. 
Yeah, that, the, yeah, okay, that makes sense because that would have been about I would have been at Karen's for like eight months at yeah. that point. But yeah, that's it's 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 God, wild. Was it that quick of a turnaround? I oh yeah, they, they for some reason in well, my they mind they bought the was, distillery. They didn't buy two gingers until yeah. December of that year. Got it. A year okay. Later, Even and, that seems like I, I seem oh, to remember okay. it being longer, yeah. but. Yeah, no, that's okay. Wow, no kidding. But I continued to work with them in a capacity. And then, so mm-hmm. I, you know, obviously I got paid for it. And uh, sure. we, had, we had a great team, uh, small but deadly, as I used to say. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, then that's when I should have gone fishing. But I didn't. Yeah. I bought this building <laughs> yeah. here. That's, uh, it was cheap. Bought this building. Sure. No roof. No walls, yeah. there was no electricity, yeah. no plumbing. The old stables, right? This used to be uh, the stables. Well, way, way back, the front yeah, part like many was years the, ago. the Dick okay. family, a veterinary yeah. office. Yeah. Right. But the rest of this was just a truck maintenance place. Sure. Uh, wow. But years closed. I mean, there were environmental problems. It'd be uh, condos and apartments now, and I'd be sitting out, looking out to see, saying what a genius I was. <laughs> But no, I'm still here. Lashed, hey. lashed to the mast. Storms Bless, are raging. Bless your heart for not turning this into condos because we got plenty of those. We got plenty of those. All around us, so yeah, we wouldn't be recording a podcast in one. So uh, that was it. And honestly, um, the craft food business, you know, Mike with Red Table and, uh, well, Steve originally with Bakersfield, but he, he's gone now. Um, he's gone out east, out east, out to Buffalo, New York. Um, but it, obviously Bakersfield is still here. And then Alamar and now Tres Leche as well. Uh, they're all really fantastic people who really have the craft down. Yeah, top flight, and I, Yeah, for sure. and I, I say these things are all timeless. This is what people were doing prior to industrialization. Right. You were churning milk. Yeah. Right? You were you were stone milling grain. You were dry curing meats. You were doing the fermentation, the botanical fermentation. Yeah. I mean, it's you know different equipment, but it's the exact same process. Farmed here, made here. There's nothing in between. They don't take stuff out of it, and they don't put shit into it. You know, they just yeah. keep it in its rawest, purest sense. And that's what things like stone milling and churning. You know, the milk for the cheese all comes from uh, farms that are grass feeding year round. And so, you know, there's only four farms in Minnesota that do that, and we get milk from two of them. So these are the things, timeless, then fermentation, then craft is what it is. Uh, but they're very tough businesses, very difficult. We pay our farmers two to three times the commodity price because they can't give us what we need at commodity prices. Sure, and right. they shouldn't have to. Absolutely. They shouldn't, you know, because commodity prices, it's a, it's a yo-yo. And uh, you can't uh, have a family and do the, the practices that they have. I mean, one of our farmers, Luke Peterson, out in Dawson, Minnesota, he just got regenerative certification. It's beyond organic. I mean, he's a brilliant. Wow. I call him our poster farmer. He's the, he's the, the future of certainly small to medium-sized farming, I would say. Sure. And he does 500 acres. So, uh, I mean... There's more margin and booze. Yeah. So I thought, let's go. We'll have another whiskey. Let's bring it out. And so I partnered this time with Noel Sweeney. Because Noel, uh, back at home in Ireland, and we were looking for a little bit more uh, complex whiskey. There are no bad Irish whiskeys. They, they, there are different styles and different types, and they won't all suit everybody's palate, clearly. So yeah. when, and some people want, you know, your whatever type, and, and some other people go to the high end, obviously your Middletons, yeah. etc. Right. And so we were looking for one, though, that was definitely more complex. And so Noel got to work uh, with it, and we're still back with John Teeling, because he has great Northern. Northern Distillery, and uh, that's been a great partnership over the years. 
And so it is, you know, it's a four to six year old Irish whiskey. Uh, what's a little unusual, 15% aged in virgin oak. And then we have a sherry cask finish and a rye cask finish oh, wow. in there as well. So we're trying to get this very velvety, slightly uh, sweet, but that it can still, you know, hold up really well in a, in a cocktail. Yeah. Some varying levels of depth. I like it because it's uh, subdued in its sweetness. Sometimes for me, Irish and Canadian whiskeys can be a bit sweet, yeah. which usually makes me shy away from them. But this is very. This has a lot of depth, a nice dryness on the finish as yeah. well, and it's uh, very subdued in the sweetness department as well. I've had a lot of fun with uh, with your sales team doing what we call uh, research and development uh, out there. <laughs> is that and, what you call uh, it? It, <laughs> it pairs. What, what I love is that... Uh, you know, working for Surly Brewing, our iconic brew is is Furious, this big, malty, uh, bitter IPA that I love. And I love that this whiskey stacks up really nicely against it. It's been really fun seeing. Yeah, I can see that. Because sometimes it's, Furious is big enough, sometimes things can get lost. And I love going back and forth between those two because it, it brings out a little bit of the sweetness in Furious and it definitely holds up all of its own character. It's just been, it's been a lot of fun to... The R&D portion of what we've been doing has been quite fun. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, but, selfless. But yeah. now, even, yeah, in these uh, 10 <laughs> years, 11 years, intervening 11 years, it is extraordinary. I did, well, I did one at Thomas Liquor in St. Paul, on, uh, which was a fabulous, what a great independent liquor store. I love store. that place. I love that family. They're having their 100th anniversary yeah. this year, October 1st. Holy shit. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, 100 years? I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, it was a pharmacy uh, originally, but they sold some alcohol. And there then it go. was after Prohibition that it went okay. all into the alcohol. Yeah, that's great and medication. Three generations of the family still working there. Okay. Uh, great fun. But I did an event there on Friday night last. And, uh, uh, I mean, you know, it was fantastic because, honestly, 10 years, 11 years ago, all the tastings that I did, the signings and all of that stuff, very difficult to get other than certain males and a smaller, much smaller percentage of females to drink whiskey neat. Yeah. Now, oh, yeah, okay. it's 100%. They all drink it <laughs> Everybody. neat. Everybody. They all wow. drink it neat. Yeah. Oh, yes, I'll, I'll try it. Yeah, I'll try it. And they drink it neat. So I think that's, obviously, the market has changed. Bourbon has been on So fire. now your training paid off. Because people just need the two ingredients. They need the glass. There you go. Back to that pub. All these years all later. Goes full circle. You're, you're fully <laughs> trained. It just, just took 50 years. 50 years. <laughs> that's all I don't have a chance to do another 50 years, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's not going to happen. Well, should we, uh, should we take a sip and jump into some questions? Let's do yeah. it. All right. All right. Cheers. Good health. Kahirika. All right. I'm up to bat. Yeah. I'm three ounces in, and I haven't asked a question. <laughs> uh, okay, this is this is a fun one. We like to we like to mix it up between things that our guests would know about food and beverage, and then other things. So here's a fun question, Kieran: Have you ever thrown an absentee party? Like, have you thrown a party that the uh, guest of honor did not actually attend? And if not, what's the most impar- important party you've ever missed? that's a great that's a fun fun question uh i have never showed up to a party where the guest of honor um has not been present but then again i have not shown up to too many parties (laughs) yeah 
<laughs> so it's a small percentage. Go. Kids' birthday parties. Yeah. I always made sure that they show it up. <laughs> yeah. uh, we had no birthday parties as kids growing up. My generation. Now my kids did, but my generation didn't. Okay. Nothing bothered with birthday party. What's that? You know, Paul yeah. Mark hadn't gotten involved yet, so they hadn't. And then the the the, the party that. Uh, well, I would have said it's not the Communist Party for sure. Uh, let's see. Uh, I'm trying to think of a... Well, I tell you, here's, here's a good one for okay. you now. This is God's honest truth. Yeah. When I was a kid, I maybe 15, 14, 15, something like that, the first, like it was called Wimpy's, and it was a small franchise of an of a English fast food place. So it was like basically a McDonald's or whatever. That name is like familiar that. to me. Yeah. Wimpy's. And yeah. it showed Great up name. in the village of Ballyhonus. This was the biggest fucking thing that had happened, period, <laughs> in the village. <laughs> and certainly in my, in my time. And I still remember with a couple of buddies going down there for the opening party and we couldn't get in. Oh. And I tell you, honestly, yeah. this is the God's honest truth. It stuck with me. Oh. Because we were outside on a winter's evening looking in the window. Everybody's warm and they're eating. all inside there eating and they're wimpies. all having drinks and stuff. We wouldn't necessarily have been given drinks, but they're in there and they're having hamburgers off the grill and you know, fast food, right? Right. And uh, I look at it and it honestly stuck with me that even when I was chairman of the Irish Fair, which has the festival over in St. Paul, I refused to have a VIP tent. It had to be the hospitality <laughs> tent because I don't like that. I don't like bullshit like that. That's amazing. And that stuck with me all of those years. Yeah. Because it, 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 it resonates with me. The haves, the have-nots, yeah, bullshit. Right. Uh, not good. I'm, I'm with you there. Like That's when the only party. So, in effect, I really... It doesn't matter that Fucking I missed wimpies. it. It actually gave yeah. me something much more valuable. There you go. To walk something inside. There me. you go. That's... Yeah. Uh, yeah. I can picture you two. By the window, like a, win a window just like this, and everyone's yeah. inside. And a pissing rain outside. Pissing rain outside. On burgers. Just, they yeah. got a burger, a burger in each hand, and you're like, yeah. one of those could be mine. Yeah. Fogging up the window with your breath. Yeah. Just like, yeah. Oh. Violins playing. <laughs> Starts snowing gently. Yeah. Well, maybe not the snow, but rain for yeah. sure. Okay. That's even worse. That's if it's even raining worse. on you. Yeah. Cold rain. Yeah, cold Let's say that. Rain. Cold rain. Damp, damp rain. That's yeah. what we call it. It's oh, a damp God. rain. <laughs> uh, yeah. I have thrown a, a, an absentee party. I okay. threw a birthday party for a friend. I suspected you may have. Who went out earlier during the day and thought he was going to take a short nap and did not wake up till the next day. And so uh, my friend Dustin and I, we went all over town and we took all these pictures with a gap in between us. And every time we bought a drink, we brought we bought three of them, and then oh. we would just leave it on the bar. Yeah. And we had the greatest time celebrating a guy's birthday who wasn't there. Did you go harder because you wanted to make him feel bad? Yes, we did. Mm, we definitely we definitely went hard. <laughs> but we had we had um, we we popped into a couple clubs, and we had like bottle service girls like take a picture with like one yeah. gap in the seating. Mm -hmm. It was honestly it was the most fun I've ever had on his birthday, and it was because he wasn't there. Oh my god. <laughs> so you continue then for years to throw a party for him, but you never invited him. Correct. Right. Yeah, Perfect. He, he burned so, out his welcome. Yep. That's for sure. So sorry, Nick, but uh, we had a great time without you. So it is what it is. <laughs> uh, and it kind of, it's funny. It, 
the the only thing that popped into my head for um, the greatest party that I missed was uh, one of the greatest pranks that my friends ever pulled during our high school years. Uh, I got my ass grounded, and so I couldn't go with them. But they stole a full-size Ronald McDonald. And uh, we ended up bringing him around for a couple months. Like we'd dress him up and we'd bring him to parties. But I couldn't take credit for being there because while I was part of the planning, uh, I got in trouble for throwing a party at my house and my mom found some of the stuff. So she grounded me. And so I had to sit at home oh, while man. they stole Ronald McDonald and then brought him to a party. And they were the, the hits of the party. And, you know, everybody just wanted to be around him and I couldn't be there. So I well, still shake my fist angrily. Yeah, well, uh, but you cannot now get arrested for Correct. stealing Ronald McDonald. <laughs> yeah. They did uh, I think eventually. The statute of limitations may have passed. Well, no, they had to return it. No, this no, was, was last, last Wednesday. Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's actually in the car right now. Yeah, yeah they, um, oh um, He was living in the the shed at our friend's in our friend's backyard. And his dad came home and wanted to go do some lawn work, and he opened it up and scared the hell out of him. Like, yeah, he just exactly. yelped. There's yeah. just a giant clown in there with his hand up in the air. And uh, Nick rolled over on everybody pretty quickly, and so they called all the parents. And then they uh, brought Ronald McDonald back with a signed letter of apology. Yeah. And uh, McDonald's, uh, uh, they, were, they were actually pretty cool about it. They, they let it go, and they repaired it. And wow. He's still there at the uh, Rogers McDonald's. Well, Rogers. Oh, we're of a, How could our friends in Rogers? Yeah. We're of a generation that was kleptos for fun, not for, for value. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Like, yes, yeah. You'd steal a stop sign or a Ronald McDonald sure. just for shits and giggles. Just you bring it to your friend's house. Hey guys, I brought a stop sign. Why? <laughs> because I could. Because it's a stop sign. Because I could fit it in my truck. Like <laughs> we have a stop sign now. Oh, you guys had a truck. Yeah, Someone we had, had, we had to I mean, steal that stuff and hike it home walking. That was the best. Actually, that was how you got the most credit is if you carried like a barrier yeah. or a cone, you put the cone on your head. Yeah. That was even better if you walked all the way home with the cone on your head. And then we would all say like, oh man, this must be like a federal crime because this is this belongs to the government. This is a big problem. <laughs> on my 21st birthday, uh, I drove with my roommate uh, to San Diego and then we went to Las Vegas and in San Diego, we were staying with a friend of mine from when I lived in Norway. And I hadn't seen her since we had both come back. And uh, the next morning, we, you know, we, we got after it pretty good. And uh, the next morning, <laughs> we woke up and I heard her just say, hey, what's that all around my car? And I looked out the window and I had forgotten that I thought it would be hilarious to run out and steal a bunch of the blinky... Uh, road work oh, signs, yeah. and I uh, just completely surrounded her car with that. Nice. <laughs> she goes, where did those come rave. from? It's a little rave. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, somewhere around here. I, yeah. I'm surprised there weren't a whole bunch of guys yeah. hanging outside that car. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a little bit nuts. But uh, Charles, what about you? What about uh, absentee parties? I have, I've thrown two absentee parties for friends. One was uh, my, my friend Peter Vang, who was one of my best friends in high school. I threw him a birthday party at a hotel in Roseville that he didn't show up to. And so we had a riot. We had a guy almost fall out the window, like a much smaller man had to grab him by his legs. Someone sprayed like a, a hurricane all over the wall. Oh. Um, people were drinking Zimas. This is how long ago this was. Yeah. So anyways, that's uninteresting, but he was upset because we took a lot of photos on disposables yep. and showed it to him like three months later. The The better one is... Um, Michael Martin, my friend who passed away a couple of years ago, uh, his bachelor party. So they did the thing that is very rarely done these days. 
they did the bachelor party the evening before the wedding. Oh, oh, yeah. oh yeah. horrible! So we did the rehearsal dinner at Mancini's, and then we were all coming to Northeast to run around Northeast and do the bachelor party. Well, Mike said, "I'm going with my dad to pick up your guys' tuxedos and, and everything else at the the shop, and then I'll come meet you guys." So we were waiting. At, we were at the Deuce Deuce. 22nd Avenue Station here in Northeast Minneapolis, now defunct. It was like a strip club slash bar. And we were just waiting, and everyone's texting Mike. And he finally stops responding. And I said, Mike's not coming, because I knew Mike, and Mike could be that way. So Mike's not coming, so let's let's get rowdy, because Mike is going to hear about yes. this tomorrow on his wedding day. So that was a mistake for many of us. <laughs> um, fortunately for me, as we know, like I can recover pretty yeah. well. But uh, the best man is his best childhood friend, Joe Kingsley, who I very seldom saw. So he's already excited about being around us because we had made one another's acquaintance years prior. And now he was partying with us and he just like let her rip. And we were all drinking really hard, but that guy uh, did not do well the next day with it. He fell asleep up on the altar at the St. Paul <laughs> Cathedral. Did he have the ring? I believe he did. And I don't remember. We were all in, in a state. I remember I was, the, the worst thing for me is it was a hundred degree day and we we're in the cathedral with no AC and I was sweating like an atheist in church because I, I used <laughs> that one. Literally too, an atheist in church. I, was, I was really, it was very warm in our suits. I also remember we were shuffling around to photo shoot from photo shoot to photo shoot in parks with the sun bearing down on us. And we were like, are we not done yet? But the thing with Joe is that he kept, he fell asleep everywhere. He <laughs> fell asleep on the altar sitting in the two seats of the two, you know, honor people in the in the um the the wedding party he fell asleep literally laying on a railing outside of the um cathedral and we have a great photo of it where he is he was like leaning on the railing and he literally like slumped over on it and fell asleep and our buddy mike got behind him and did a bunch of funny stuff and then you could see the bride and my date uh in the distance doing like the whole face with their hands over their mouth he fell asleep on the floor in the limousine so <laughs> It was yeah, it was it was quite the quite the adventure. But it, it's funny that we went like extremely hard. We took so many photos and kept texting him like, "You're missing out. This is the best night of your <laughs> life. That this could have been the best night of your life." But yeah, I'll never forget that. And he sort of regretted it, but I think he found it almost more amusing that we made such a shit show out of it because it probably would have been relatively calm if he came. We probably would all got pretty drunk and then he would have went home. But for those of you listening that, <laughs> that aren't from the Minneapolis area, the uh, 22nd Street Station, Avenue Station? 22nd Avenue. Avenue yeah. Station. Uh, was I remember called so, it Deuce Deuce. Yeah, it was Deuce Deuce. It was one of the most unique bar slash strip clubs that I've ever seen. Yeah, like a grandfathered um, little strip In the middle of a residential bar. neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, and you could literally sit front row. The dancers had to play their own music on the jukebox. And then you could sit front row and literally, like, you could order a frozen pizza. Like, you could sit and eat. Mm -hmm. It's the strangest thing. Like, thinking about that place existing kind of blows me away. Like, just such a unique business model. Yeah, very cramped, yeah. uncomfortable chairs. And Plywood for the stage. If you got a private dance, it was between the two doors of each bathroom. Yes, which was yeah, you were between the apart. bathrooms. <laughs> you That's a little suggestive. <laughs> Nothing less private than that. It sounds like it just he, whoever owned the business, uh, bolted things on as he was going along. Absolutely, good idea. Yeah. Slap this on. One hundred percent. that on. <laughs> I remember being there one time, and somebody had put too much money in the jukebox, so they had to like find a way to skip the song so that the dancer could get to her dance songs because <laughs> she didn't feel very sexy to like pop punk from the nineties. <laughs> it, it was amazing. Yeah, a little Sum Forty One or something. Yeah. 
Oh, cheers. Uh, Charles, you have a, a T-shirt on that's a very, uh, I would say, on uh, on message uh, this, yeah, this past this week. Yeah, uh, to the beat to the This G. was the shirt that my studio designed uh, for Falling Knife Brewing Company for a beer we produced um, in association with Witch Hunt about 18 months ago uh, called Matriarch, which um, we put out in honor of RBG. And uh, I feel like it's a good time to be wearing this shirt. I would shirt. say this would be a good, good yeah, yes. couple of days yeah. to be wearing it for sure. Yep. Long term, but... Uh, yeah, DeWitt worked with us on the illustrations on this. Amazing. So, um, yeah. yeah. Felt like today was a good day to wear this shirt. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. God, yeah. I'm working well, backwards. Launch Yeah. Cheers. Or as I like to say, Kahirika. Well... Perfect timing, uh, post uh, whiskey drink. Yes. Kieran, when did you first realize that you loved whiskey? And has your love of it changed over the years as it's become a part of your business model? Well, it certainly wasn't growing up because not a single person that I, well, that's not true, there was one, uh, but 99% of all of the guys that I grew up, my generation did not drink spirits. Mm. They're all drinking beer. Sure. That was it, uh, pretty much. And then uh, when I worked in Saudi, of course, there was no alcohol, um, except you could get a $30, which was exorbitant at the time in 1977, bottle of Johnny Walker, and it would have a smell of diesel off the <laughs> bottle because uh, it used to come in in false diesel tanks sure. over oh, the, from the Jordanian mountains. People in the Middle East love Johnny and, Walker, I can tell you from experience. And just <laughs> uh, take it out, and then you'd pour it out of it into a, uh, uh, into a jar, whatever it was, and then you had to break the bottle, and you had to burn the label, and then uh, you would drink it. It was either that or Siddiqui, which is like moonshine, which would just blow your mind away. Uh, not in a good way, <laughs> I, might, I might add. It might just melt and your so brain. That was not a great experience, I will have to say. Um, I would say whiskey for me never really became a kind of a... Uh, a thing I would say it was more a celebratory thing that sure, you would sure. do it, and then uh, I would say it's probably a, oh my god, even five six years ago that I'd say oh god I like tasting the different whiskies, and I do a charity event uh, maybe half a dozen times a year here at Food Building, so with lots of different uh, charities where we put up an auction item for twelve people to uh, have a whiskey and food pairing from the food building wow. tasting. And it's got a minimum bid, three and a half grand. <laughs> what a cool experience. I found though. I ended up doing one one time where they got it for 200 bucks, and I thought, for fuck's sake. <laughs> so it is, you know, so three and a half grand. So, you know, places like Bridging and so forth, and Heartlink, and uh, all great causes. And so they put it out as their live auction. And that's when I really started, wow, this is kind of interesting doing all the different tastings, yeah. comparing one against the other versus just going back to the well and literally and figuratively the well uh, to um, to just drink your own product. Sure. That's amazing. I, I Also, I definitely need to go to more charity things like that because I would love to have an experience like that with the amount of things, the amount of incredible things that happen in this building. I would love to see how that would go with, like, so do you do, you do multiple 
styles of whiskey or yeah. okay yeah different styles here's my favorite story about that though father joe gillespie father joe he got me to do a charity event for the basilica one time and i gave it up i said uh, all right um i'll do it whiskey tasting food pairing here at the food building two to three hours i run it i lead it not run it lead it yeah and uh, i was i don't know where I was. I was working but i was out of town i did not go to the charity event itself and the next day he calls me and he says, Kieran, me lad. Oh, he just sent me a photograph from Ireland, by the way. I digress a second, where he was at a pub called The Confessional in Dublin. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful looking That's pub. That's incredibly I on brand. I didn't know it. Yeah, very on brand for him. Could see him in there holding court. But anyway, <laughs> he calls me up and he says, Kieran, me lad. He says, oh, he said, you know, I was, uh, I was thinking about you last night at the charity event because he said, we sold one of those things and we sold it for four and a half thousand and I said, oh, well, that's fantastic. That's wow. great. I'm delighted. So I am, you know, and so forth. Because 100% yeah. goes to the charity. Sure. And he says, well, now, there's a little thing because there was a bit of a competition for it. <laughs> and so I sold three of them. <laughs> and I says, Whoa. that means three nights I'm committing to. <laughs> well, here's the deal. I will require you to have our whiskey served at the Basilica for three months instead of wine. <laughs> and he said, Kirame lad, we can't do that, he says. He says, I'll give you six months off purgatory. I said, six months off purgatory be no good to a man like me. You gotta put at least five zeros after that, so you do. And that was it, and yeah, whatever. The Irish <laughs> sacraments. Oh, that's great. <laughs> uh, uh, he's Charles- going, I just did one with him here. Uh, that was with... Uh, I think that was with bridging uh, just maybe a month ago. I, uh, as somebody who went to a Catholic university, I can tell you that the uh, the brothers and the fathers definitely know how their way around uh, St. John's. Oh, you did? Yeah. What so a they, beautiful place up there. I that was what got me. It was uh, the campus. I've I've still never seen anything quite as beautiful as that campus. Oh. And every single person I walked past, uh, including the people that were in the monastery, everyone looked me in the eye and said hello. And I thought that was a culture that I kind of wanted to be a part of. And well, it was you, you know who was a great old buddy of mine who graduated uh, at the very top, uh, the scores and graduating, blah, blah, blah. Senator Eugene McCarthy. Yeah? Yeah. Amazing. He became a great buddy of mine with the old pub because he used to come and recite poetry. Wow. I have all his poetry books. He was a beautiful poet. Really That's, important. That what was clean for Gene. He was the anti-Vietnam. Yeah, uh, yeah, guy. yeah. He passed away a number of years ago. So he went there. But I went up there uh, a couple of times. But the last time I went up there, many years ago now, uh, it's the only American college football game I've been to live. It was a beautiful <laughs> fall day. And I went up with my buddy Paul Horan. Paul owns Gear Running Store yep. at 44th and, uh, and, uh, and France. And uh, Paul went to St. John's and we went up there and we had lunch with the monks. We had a great time. We ran out to the chapel. Oh, yeah. You got to do that. Back. Mm -hmm. And uh, then we went to a couple of the bars in the village. (laughs) They they get a little wild at the bars up there. There's not a whole lot going on. And it gets wearing more than your shoes, hopefully. Wear more than my shoes. <laughs> it's more than my shoes and that. Yes, yeah, that would not have been good. But it was no, a gorgeous not. day. It was the most beautiful. And I thought, my God, 
this has ruined it for me because I don't know that I could go to a stadium <laughs> yep. and yeah. watch a game. It really, it really oh, truly yeah. is amazing. I'm, I'm on the record of hating the fact that we have an indoor stadium for our pro football team. Yep. Because even though it was cold as hell to watch games at TCF when the Vikes had to, out of necessity, play oh, right. at the uh, college stadium yeah. because of the collapse at the old Metrodome, I absolutely adored it. Mm-hmm. Football's meant to be played outdoors. Brings mm-hmm. character. Yeah, it's character. Right. And you do get good days. Some of them are obviously like horrifically cold. I remember my brother took me for my birthday to watch the Packers game. Not only did we get shellacked, but it was absolutely freezing yeah. cold. It was like maybe eight degrees that day. So that's not fun. Eight degrees at night watching a Sunday night football game and you're losing. It's like multiple forms of punishment. But on a, you know, early season, like in October or something, on noon on a Sunday, that's yeah. fucking beautiful. That's what you want. I think I was in school when Sports Illustrated gave it, like, the fifth best place to watch a football game on earth. It really is, Where? like, at St. John's. It really is oh, a yeah. cool wow. stadium. Yeah, yeah. It's carved. It's oh, sort yeah. of in the middle of, like, a hill. Yeah. And there's a, the forest on one side. Yeah. yeah. No kidding. There, and right. the, uh, the team will line up on the other side of the trees and start clapping and, like, ooh, ooh. And then everyone, when they take the field, they run through the trees and down the hill. Okay. It's a little bit, like, some it can be intimidating. Some of them run into trees. Yeah, some of them definitely run into trees. That was afterwards. That was later. Catch a little twig in the face. You know, they started wearing face guards. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, so I never knew, Mr. Ben, that yep, you're that's a where Johnny's I know, boy. That's where I know Tim Schaffram. He was oh, a year, uh, Tim okay. was a year older than me, and uh, one of his roommates was in an improv comedy troupe that we ended up doing a bunch of stuff with. Uh, How do you know so many improv people? That's what I want to know. Uh, I've always been comedy adjacent. I've known John Sweeney for a lot of years. The Brave New Workshop. It's very humble, Quam. You know, we had at the old Kieran's, we had Flanagan's Wake. That mm-hmm. was John Sweeney yep. uh, with Brave New Workshop. Yep. Yeah, that got me in a lot of trouble with the landlord. <laughs> so it, did. it seriously did. Yeah. I think they, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember a very bad Friday night there one night. <laughs> yeah, a long time ago, we all survived. Yeah, everybody made it out. Yeah, everybody made it out, except for Flanagan, because he had died. Yes. <laughs> oh, Charles, what about you with whiskey? What's, uh, when did, do you remember when you fell in love? Certainly, and I think that um, longtime listeners of the program and people who know me, IRL, know that uh, I fell in love with whiskey probably in the same way. That, that was her I, name? A young man, well, in, in much the same way that a young man falls in love with the wrong person um, early on. Uh, my first introduction to my obsession with whiskey Guys. was Jack Daniels. Oh, you got it. Ooh, Kieran just caught right. a fly with his hand. I just, am, yeah. I'm a huge fan of Muhammad Ali's, he by just the way. Karate I ki- just got the fly with his hand. There it is. Kid. <laughs> that was Sorry. To- you miyagi that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Kieran uh, Miyagi. <laughs> yeah. So as a teenager, I uh, had a, a love and affection for Jack Daniels, which is funny because that's the last whiskey I would drink right now. Sure. Like if there was a, a shelf full of whiskeys, I would pick pretty, I would pick any whiskey before I picked Jack Daniels. But as a young man... Uh, I also attributed that, I think, in, in those days to, uh, I grew up in an age, and you both probably have some familiarity with this, where you had to select what you liked of two things. Yeah. Things were always pitted against each other in the 90s in particular, where it was Pepsi or Coke, Super Nintendo Genesis, WCW, WWF, like you had to pick. Mm-hmm. And as someone who started drinking in his younger years, it was, do you like Jim Beam or do you like Jack Daniels? Sure. And I don't know if it was aesthetics or what, but I decided I liked Jack Daniels. And so I drank an awful lot of fucking Jack Daniels. The journey, as with many things that we enjoy, especially the finer things in life, has peaks and valleys. So I went from drinking something that wasn't very good, but I enjoyed it. 
to you know reaching the that crescent of enjoying like all the most expensive and hard to find whiskeys and now i find myself on the other side of that peak where um now i just drink what i enjoy no matter what mm. it some of it's costly and some of it's not i love japanese whiskeys they're often hard to source i don't want to pay way over market for them so usually i'll drink them if the opportunity presents That's itself um, i do like the nicer bourbons that you find but they become so expensive that ordinarily I will just order some at a bar or drink some with a friend. I have a nice cart. It's going to be full for a long time. I don't need to add to it. And then, of course, I go to the store and I'll purchase whatever, you know, sort of like feels right at the time. Mm. And it doesn't have to be something that's way over the top. It could be just anything on the like I'll drink Buffalo Trace, even though sometimes that's in short supply. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Like, what's the problem with Buffalo Trace? Um, so that's, I guess, where that that's the entirety of the journey in 60 sure. seconds there, at least insofar as after the Jack Daniels, um, I like a little bit of everything and uh, I have a healthy appreciation for all types of whiskey. That's so. true. Well, what year were you born, Charles? 81. 81. What year were you born? 79. Then? 79. Yeah. Oh, so you're very close. Yeah. For me, it was, uh, it was a weird one. I, I always drank uh, like vodka usually or whatever was, was cheapest. So, it was usually, so that was your first kind of that was spirit my of first choice. spirit okay. of choice because it didn't taste like anything and I would just mix it with sure, pop or juice drinks, or whatever. Right. And um, when I was living in Norway, I was a part of uh, a study called the Scandinavian Urban Studies Team. And Norway was pondering whether or not they were going to join the EU. Yeah. And so I was working with um, the embassy there just looking at economic plans and whether or not it was smart for Norway. And then they wanted us to go to two other countries to get a, a nice balance. So we went to Sweden and then we went to Tallinn, Estonia. And uh, flying into Estonia, um, the airport was not, it was the, the plane landed and you got off like a flight of steps and there were a couple guys with Kalashnikov standing at the door. I mean, sure. it was very much more military, but they still had a little pop-up um, duty-free area. And the only alcohol that they had there that was duty-free was Glenlivet. And it was thir really? $13 for okay. a bottle. And so we all decided that we were going to buy a bottle. And then the four of us that were, we were staying in an apartment together, we figured since we didn't know Russian or Estonian and we were going to have a little trouble navigating because, it's, you know, it's a completely different alphabet, um, we figured we'd probably have a lot of nights in. So we forced ourselves through four mm. bottles of Glenlivet to understand what scotch was. And it was through us talking about it. That oh, sure, all you were sudden, studying. Yeah, this yeah. is R&D. See, yeah. selfless. You see, see how selfless this guy is? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm also <laughs> thinking you're going through that amount of Glenn Levitt uh, uh, that you probably would have had no difficulty communicating with the <laughs> exactly. Estonians as a result <laughs> yeah. of that. Yeah. Or the Russians. Yes, or yeah. the Russians. Yeah. He learned yeah. both languages somehow. I think we I should mean, finish off this bottle of Red Lux and call Putin. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And another thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was by the end of it, I really did have like a, a love and then that became like a special thing that I could buy when I had something to celebrate I would buy a bottle of scotch mm -hmm. and then uh, a buddy of mine slid me a, a powers on the rocks and he was like well you should try this and that was a whole different world for me because I had never had anything besides Jameson and it was this beautiful like honey sweet no peat like it was it was oh, there's that. And then I got into bourbon and then it went from there. And now I just love the breadth of that category, like from the craziest, peatiest, smokiest scotch all the way down to like the brown sugar, vanilla, Kentucky's finest. Like I just love 
how much there is in there. And no matter which country is making it, there's always like, there's always a story behind it. And I loved more than any of the other spirits. I think the whiskey companies have really embraced the lore and, and the, the stories behind the creation. And I just got fascinated by that. Mm. And then that just kind of kept me going. And now here we are. Did you, do you feel like that also helped you discover an appreciation for drinking spirits straight or were you? 100%. Okay, yeah. It wasn't until I had had a nice whiskey and felt like I could at least partially understand it that I finally started stripping away everything mm. that I was adding to it. Right. Um, yeah, that's, uh, when I was drinking Jack Daniels, I would drink it straight. And if I drank any spirits at that time, I drank it straight. But I was the only one of my friends that drank a straight spirit that wasn't something sweet. Yeah. And even when we went to local bars when I was 21, in the area, I would say, "Hey, give me a give me a whiskey uh, whiskey water," because I couldn't order. I couldn't say, "Give me a." If I ordered a Jack and Coke, for instance, it was four fifty, but if I ordered a Jack on the rocks with the same amount of Jack Daniels in it, it was eight dollars. Yes, so I'd say, "Give me a Jack Coke, hold the Coke," and they would be like, Haha. and I'd be like, "Can you just like not put the the?" <laughs> and they'd say, "No, that's." Well, what's the difference in price? $4, but you're not adding the... Yeah. So there's that whole dynamic because people didn't order straight spirits back then unless it was a shot because they wanted to charge you the shot price for the shot. Right. But it's interesting also to, to think of, you know, the fact that when you started drinking spirits, you were drinking mixed drinks and then that also helped you to gain an appreciation for mm -hmm. just enjoying the spirit in its natural state. Uh, but that's interesting, Ben, that you bring up about uh, the idea of, you know, the lore and yeah. the story and, you know, I think that that's, I think it's good. I mean, there's a fair amount of bullshit going on with it yeah. or whatever else it is. But that's one of the things about Redlocks that, and, and this goes back, now this is not, this has not been created mentally <laughs> in, my, in my mind or uh, in the last 18 months or whatever, it goes back a long time, is the idea of having a brand that stands for the idea of encouraging people to act on their ideas. And this goes back even to the wimpy yeah. <laughs> piece of it. So when we have our tagline of giving it a shot, well, sure, it's a play, a play on, 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 on words right. uh, with it, or the idea. But it is about the idea of encouraging people to act on their ideas. And so that's the type of brand that we're trying to build to say, you know what? Why shouldn't people encourage people? You want to learn to play the guitar, climb a mountain, jump in a lake, start a nonprofit, start a business. The idea of, sure, yeah, why not? Encouraging people and the ripple effect of that on not alone maybe themselves, their family, the community, maybe the world at large, sure. if, it goes, if it gets big enough. You know, when I look at some of the, I mean, and we're not equating ourselves now to this, but some of the incredible brands, huge brands that are out there like Nike, you know, and it's like about supreme athletes. And, you know, you take uh, Red Bull, it's about extreme athletes. And we're really talking about how do you get to the core of what it means when people have an idea and you just are not negative about it. Just yeah. say, yeah, give it a shot. Give it a shot. Right. Go for it. Yeah. doesn't matter. What's the worst that can happen? That But the emotional benefits of acting on your idea far surpass the fear of failure or anything along those lines. Why Couldn't agree more. Yeah. I mean, Marco was sitting in the seat that you're sitting in a couple months ago and we recorded with him and he was talking about how he's exhilarated but afraid of the 
Tres Leche, like the, the three Leche business yeah. and just the prospect of it and the specter of it and how it's growing. And, it, you know, there's, of course, you understand there's exhilaration with that, but also there's trepidation because you don't, you don't know how much you can control that. But I told him like, let the fear encourage you. Don't let it scare you away yeah. because that's a, that's a good thing. You're doing it right. Like yeah. you said, you know, the, you just, the first step is actually engaging and making it happen and actually doing it as opposed to just talking about it and writing a business plan and then letting that rot on the shelf for months and, or and years. Going so. back to what I learned from uh, Alistair and Patty McGuckin and mm. all of those guys years ago and Scotty Olson and yeah. Bob Walker and so forth, you know, make a start. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be anything major. It could be something, learning to play the guitar. Well, yep. that could be major if you end up with <laughs> whoever, Bob Dylan. Right. You know. yeah. uh, but that uh, idea of just how people end up and society can have you move like with the sheep that they're moving and that you cannot, uh, that, that, Failure can be embraced and, and risk can be mm. embraced and so forth. It doesn't have to be stupid stuff or yeah. crazy or whatever else it is, but saying, yeah, you're here on life, on this earth, for a short period yep. of time. Yes. You know, the journey. So it's your journey. So why would you not want to? And you know what? If it's just having a lovely nine-to-five job and I want to be the best, uh, I want to grow and tomatoes, yeah. I don't, whatever else it is. But I really love that. I want to write a book. I want to write a poem. I do. It doesn't. You don't have to be the world's greatest at it. I but if it's your right. idea, and it because it's a, it's really a reflection of who you are yeah. as who you are as a person. I can't your imagine personality, your DNA, all of these things. Wouldn't you want that to come to the world? I'm. I can't imagine anybody laying laying on their deathbed and pondering their life and thinking, "I'm glad I played it safe." I'm glad I didn't take any chances, you know, like it's whenever I look back on some of the crazy stuff that's happened over the last 42 years, it's my, my most fond memories are the ones where I, I took a leap without knowing where it was going to go. And those end up being, they don't always pay off, but you learn something. You know, you I, I, I think they actually. I I think that they always pay off. Sure. Yeah. Maybe they didn't like pay off in the way that muscle, you thought it might. Like building a muscle yeah. for something, yes. you know, you know, Charles, you have a injured uh, Achilles at the moment. <laughs> You've got a boot on. Yep. You know, we don't know exactly how that happened yeah, at the we moment, do but <laughs> <laughs> but it happened doing something. Yep. <laughs> and so yes. uh, I mean, yep. Yeah, so building building something as a result of taking action, and why, as a society, we wouldn't want to encourage everybody yeah. to do it. Yeah. I think that, unfortunately, a lot of people who, um, and it's, again, like you mentioned, it, it is actually a way of life for some people that is most comfortable for them to have a nine-to-five and to be, you know, uh, gainfully employed for their entire career. That's, Good that's, for them. That's a thing that a lot of people uh, maybe will ultimately find out is best for them. But there are people who have uh, uh, dreams and aspirations to do something larger and just never take that step. The unfortunate thing is that societally, I think people have this belief, and I don't know where it comes from, but that only a select few are blessed to be able to have the opportunity to work for themselves. But again, as you mentioned, it it's very important to actually just fucking try. Mm -hmm. like you have to actually do it. Um, for me, a lot of the a lot of my failures in my career led every failure led to a more prosperous opportunity. So I accept every 
everything that comes my way, if something doesn't work out, like if something's not working out with a prospective client or an existing client, I'm happy to part ways because I know something better is coming. Mm -hmm. I say, okay, I'm going to step up. I'm going to use this as opportunity as a ladder. I said this in Marco's episode yep. too, like use it as a ladder. Don't say I can't and climb back down say, well, the next best thing is on its way. I'm going to keep climbing yep. up vertically. Um, I wish more people thought that way if they have aspirations, if they have aspirations to do something well, I bold. Did, but I would, yeah, because I would never use like, you know, uh, larger or something. I would always use just, it's just an expression of whatever is inside you. Mm. Like what I thought did you have tonight? I want to do this or what? Sure. I, I want to pursue this path because ultimately it's really just about yourself. Now, the ripple effect, depending on what action you're going to take, what idea you have and what you're going to do with it may affect many other people, but that isn't necessarily why you should do it. You should do it sure. to represent yourself first, your idea, the thought that you have, because it is an expression of yourself. It's yeah. like, you know, I don't know that somebody like, and again, <laughs> I'm not putting anybody in, in the same category as somebody like Bob Dylan, but I'm pretty sure mm -hmm. that he never sat around writing songs thinking about how that was going to affect me. I think yeah. it was an expression of himself. Yeah. Everything could be, you know. We have uh, young Will, who does, uh, uh, he's for food building here, he's going to do some maintenance work and the lawn work that's around here. He's a young guy, he's 22, he's fantastic, he's so innovative and, and thoughtful and he's a kind guy and so forth and he brings this energy to the place and he said yeah i love doing this stuff i love fixing shit and i love doing this and, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. and i got a I weed whacker and i'll, I'll get <laughs> rid of the weeds and all of this sort <laughs> of thing. i'm not using chemicals I'm, yep. and it's fantastic i mean like i it's like me it's like when you've got this machine here with plugs in it i like i take somebody like will and i say well Go do it. Yep. And then I plug into them and I get charged yeah. as a yeah. result of Absolutely. It, you know? <laughs> well, there's a lot of that in this building, too. I mean, you're clearly fostering a lot of yeah. different people's talents, which is pretty amazing. Uh, there's some, uh, there are some quite the characters in this building, that's <laughs> yes. for sure. And it's all people are, doing yeah. things that they care deeply about, which, yeah. to your point, that's, that's incredibly important. Mm -hmm. that, gives you a, that gives you a turbo boost out of the gate that you're doing something that you have an affinity for. Cheers to that. All right. Cheers to that. Cheers. Charles, I think you're up. So I am. Okay, here's a fun one. Uh, Kieran, what was a favorite toy of yours when you were a kid? The more embarrassing, the better. <laughs> toys? Yeah. I Trinket toys? To do, I'm not going to do anything super, <laughs> <laughs> super, what do you call it? <laughs> Oh, I could do one that would be super, super, but it would not be good. <laughs> it would not be good. Have uh, another sip of Red Locks. Favorite toy. Um, <laughs> but again, yeah, I grew up in a rural community. I can mm -hmm. tell you one thing. I, I still remember Christmas Eve was, a, a Christmas week was a glorious thing in our village. Oh, my God. You go down the town, and there were lights across the streets, and the shops were all... Oh, a glow. It was, oh, it was magnificent. And uh, I still remember in the chemist shop pharmacy that was at the corner in downtown. can't even remember what the name of the place was. 
uh, is long gone. In fact, it, the bank it became, the Allied Irish Banks, is long gone as well. And they had a bazooka in the thing. <laughs> Oh. was uh, that shot little like uh, uh, tennis balls, like uh, sure, okay. table tennis balls. Like, like a ping pong ball, yeah. Like oh my God, that's the most amazing thing ever. <laughs> and I still remember the price of it. 12 shillings, 12 and a half shillings. And this was like, oh yeah, could never <laughs> afford that. So I didn't afford, I couldn't afford that. And a friend of mine, Michael O'Connell, who was in our uh, school, I haven't seen Michael for years, even though I'm still friends with a bunch of lads from uh, from home, my buddy Ned, who's retired now, he's a teacher, in fact we were communicating over the weekend, my friend Helena, a lot of, just and Rory, all the characters in my village that I went to school with, but Michael got a, he got a boomerang, and he got a, a bazooka thing, oh. and he brought them up on uh, St. Stephen's Day, which is Boxing Day in Ireland, sure. St. Okay. Stephen's Day. Yeah. Well, I threw the boomerang, God's honest truth. I threw the boomerang, and it ended up in a tall tree, and it never <laughs> came down. Like a huge tree, never came down. First throw. And we were messing around in the living room, and I sat on the bazooka, and I broke it. <laughs> <laughs> this we're like 12 years of age. So we are. And so I don't know if this was some internal like a, yeah. subconscious reaction to the yeah. fact that... <laughs> you know, we didn't really have presents. We didn't have things, so we didn't know we got. Yeah, but fuck a your football bazooka. was always fantastic for me. Yeah, yeah. I used to throw the ball up on the roof of the house with a small little uh, bungalow house. It's still there. I still own the field at the back of it that I worked in as a kid. So I tell people that if I end up in a he to hell, if everything goes to hell in a handbasket here in America, I'll go back and stick a caravan on the field, yeah. and that'll be it. Good night. <laughs> you can all come visit, but you'll have to bring a tent. <laughs> so you all with yourselves. But I used to throw the ball up on the, on the roof, and then I'd run and catch it. All right, headed. Oh yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever for it sure. old game. So yes. a ball. Yeah. That's fair. Football. That's great. Yeah. A round one, not one of those oval things. Yeah. Right, no, your version of a football. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> I, the first thing that came to my mind when you asked was I had this two shades of brown Fisher-Price tape player. Okay. And uh, it was battery-powered. And uh, I never quite understood when the batteries were starting to fail, but all of a sudden all the <laughs> songs would get longer and the voices <laughs> would get worse. And that was, so it was always trying to figure out like, wait, is this slower than it's supposed to be or not? Like you'd have to keep listening to go. And we, we uh, didn't have a good stereo in the car. So whenever my mom and I would go on road trips, that was my job was I'd, I'd sit with a tape player on my lap and then I would, I would play albums or mm, I would play songs, sure. you know? So I, that, that went with me everywhere. And I remember crying when it broke. Like I was, I was inconsolable, and my dad ended up getting me a Walkman that Christmas, so I had my own. But having the tape player where it could, like, everyone in the car could it hear it. Entertained everybody. Yeah, like, the whole family. Yeah, exactly. A little, little foreshadowing of my later career, but um, yeah, that was. I really, really loved that. Uh, and then um, I had the one cool, cool toy that made all my friends jealous was I had the Cobra Command uh, Center for mm. GI Joe. Sure. And that was, it was the coolest thing. It had a jail. It had uh, like a, a, a plane that would pop up out of the middle of it. It was completely useless because you can't do anything with it. You can't bring that 
over to somebody's house because it was like the size of a barrel. Oh yeah, but those things were serious. When, when people came over to my house, that was like that was the showpiece. Like we made sure that was sitting out in the middle of the playroom. Yeah, and then that was like, oh, you got it. And that was that was the jam. You were the cool kid. Yeah, that was the one. That was the one <laughs> cool toy that I had that my friends didn't. So that was my. What about you, Charles? We had a lot of you know for Christmas. Sometimes we'd get secondhand action figures that were wrapped in like wrapping paper. So I had Ninja Turtles and He-Man and stuff. Um, Castle Grayskull, my godmother got me a Castle Grayskull with the ooze. And I remember when I used the ooze, because you can only do it once. It was just a dramatic day, right? Like <laughs> everybody gather around. I'm going to dump this fucking ooze on this thing. But uh, the reason I'm actually asking this is because I was telling my wife this sort of embarrassing story about uh, when I was a very small boy, I had a menagerie of stuffed animals. For sure. Uh, part of the reason I had it is because my older brother, Tony, was an absolute ringer at the crane machine. You give that kid a quarter, you're getting oh, a stuffed Oh, like the animal. claw? Yeah. Yeah. He got, <laughs> you give him a quarter, you're getting a stuffed animal. So I had this entire menagerie on top of my dresser of all these various animals. And I used to do this embarrassing thing when I was a kid. I would, I, if I was chewing gum, I'd like take out a, a little piece of gum and I'd give it to each one of them. <laughs> so they all had a little piece of gum on their face. And so <laughs> that's uh, the cutest thing ever. You're just being a good friend. Yeah. Absolutely. So they all had a little dot of gum on their face. They were your buddies. <laughs> really unusual. Anyways, so one day, um, and I don't remember, Marnie was like, what were their names? What were they? And I was like, I remember one specifically, and there's a good reason why. There's a frog. I don't remember his name. It was fucking Flippy or something. I have no idea. But uh, there was a bat loose in our home. Bat flying around yeah. the house. My dad's trying to track down this fucking bat. Ends up flying into my bedroom. And I'm in there, bats up on the wall. My dad runs in and sees the bat on the wall and the bat's motionless. And he looks around for something. He grabs fucking Flippy. Let's just say that was his name. Yeah. Makes a fist of this stuffed animal. Smashes the bat <laughs> with the stuffed oh, animal. God. Crumples it up. Blood's running down the wall. Just walks out of my room. I'm like, wow. Uh, <laughs> Well, there goes Flippy. Yeah, and my childhood innocence. He died a hero, I guess. <laughs> wow. Never saw Flippy again. How, How old were you at the time? Uh, 29. No, I was, yeah. <laughs> I was like seven or eight, probably. Yeah. Yeah. If I had to guess, I was probably like seven. Wow. Uh, do you know what? Uh, you see, my old man, God rest him, uh, he had a 22 rifle. And we used to go out and he would he'd shoot rabbits and we'd rabbit mm. now and then but he used to always tell us it was chicken until after we had eaten the dinner yeah. on Sunday and uh, I could look at those rabbits and I would say ah nah, I can't shoot them they gotta go home they gotta go home to the family or whatever yeah. so I literally I could shoot crows yeah. crows and different things like that but we had a bat get into our room here I was like you know my kids were probably maybe 20 years ago mm. and into the room flying around the bedroom went down on the ground and I got uh, a, a pot, a pot like for boiling potatoes or whatever else it was, uh, and <laughs> I turned it on top of him, yeah. and then I on the ground, yeah, and I so you him like that fly. I slid it out the yeah. door. So you I got it all the way, all the way out <laughs> to the door, <laughs> and then it had a step. Got it down, it fell over, and it flew off. Amazing. <laughs> Perfect. What a, what a weird experience it must have been for that bat. Like, yeah. what is going on? Yeah. But he was Just watching the floor the beneath him, like, uh, <laughs> this is, yeah, it's a moving cave. Uh, how unusual. many kids did you, uh, did you have in your family? Uh, I, I grew up an only child. 
So I was uh, I was 14 when my mom and stepdad adopted two kids. Oh, um, really? Yeah, so they were six when I was 14, but I grew oh, up I, I grew up solo. So they it was were, just me. Uh, they were uh, twins. Yep, twins from uh, from way up north, uh, wow. little town called Black Duck. And uh, my mom volunteered for the Minnesota Adoption Resource Network, and they have been having the toughest time trying to find somebody that would take two kids with ADHD, and so the state was going to split them up. They were going to pair them off, or literally single them off from a pair Mm. into two different homes, and my mom, she just, she couldn't sleep. She came home that night, and she couldn't stop talking about it. That's where you get your big heart. Yeah. Yeah. My mom's a... we don't see eye to eye on a lot of things sometimes, but uh, but yeah, she taught me how to be a, a, a good person. Good. And uh, yeah, and so now, yeah, so that was, let's see, that would have been 93. So they've been in our family since then. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Good. So that's that's it was all my toys when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> I had to learn how to share later on yeah. in life. <laughs> yeah, 14. How about you, Charles? I'm the middle of three boys. Three boys. So th- all three years apart. Oh, three yep. year program. Uh, they're here yeah. in town. Uh, yes, my older brother lives with my mom. He's disabled, so he lives on 15th and Jefferson where we grew up. My, my uh, younger brother moved to Osseo, but he was in Northeast for his whole life until yeah. about two years ago, and so um, I'm ashamed of him for moving to the suburbs. <laughs> but, you know, it's okay. Osseo is a nice enough place. Oh, they, got a, they have a beautiful home, and yeah. his wife's awesome. So I'm Would you pull that microphone closer to you again? Sorry. No, you're good. I just want to make sure everybody can hear. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, should we go? Yeah, all right. Well, well, I better, oh, we gotta I better board, it, board a drop, so if I'm going to... Yep. <laughs> All right. Kahirika. Kahirika. All right, you're going to have to explain that one to me, because I have no familiarity. <laughs> well, I was waiting for the fucking last hour. Well, I've, yeah. I've seen All it right. written on how many oh, yeah. of the pub signs. Yeah. You know, that's, sorry, I, that was, I left nope, you out on nope, that one. I have no idea. All right, so there was a small, um, you know... Not everything that I grew up with is gone, but there was a small hotel uh, about seven miles outside of the village of Ballyhorn. It's called Churchfield House. I went to school with one of the uh, the boys, Jimmy Duggan. And Jimmy, um, so they used to hold most of the, uh, what do you call it, like the, the football dinners, the uh, charity dinners, weddings, and everything around that area. And uh, oh, there's some legendary stories for it. A cousin of mine um, was there at a dinner one night, and Jimmy Duggan got and was coming around, and he was saying more meat. At this is at the wedding, and he's going around more meat, and oh, uh, but he's not giving out meat. He's giving out potatoes. <laughs> I, I got that of strokes. And then my my, my my cousin Lily, she said, uh, she says, oh no, Jimmy, I've got piles. <laughs> oh, he says a terrible dose. I had them myself one time. <laughs> Different interpretation of yeah. piles. So it was. <laughs> but there was the Farris Lacks. They're out of Georgia. And they had small, Georgia, uh, USA. Uh, they had small factories for making slacks, trousers, mm. all over Europe. And they had one in our village, long gone as well. And a friend of mine was the general manager. And so they're at the Christmas dinner for the employees and for their spouses as well, or friends, whatever, spouses. And so it's about 60 people at it. And the managing director for Europe, an Englishman, comes over anyway for the Christmas, you know, thank everybody and so forth. Well, now this free drink before the dinner, there's free drink with the dinner, 
and there's free drink after the dinner <laughs> on the company. <laughs> so now they're giving it a good lash. Yeah. So they are, you know. So they're well on when they get into the dinner, and then there's speeches at the end of the dinner, and. Uh, uh, the managing director, I don't even remember his name, he says to my friend Austin, he says, oh, Austin, an old chap, he says, oh, what's the Gaelic, you know, he's, he's from London, he says, what's the Gaelic, you know, uh, for that cute thing you Irish say, cheers. And uh, my friend uh, Austin says, that, oh, Cahirica, everybody now is tanked, so they are, you know, and it's loud and it's boisterous. And he stands up anyway and he says, well, thank you very much for all your efforts <laughs> throughout the year and it's been wonderful, it's been a good year and, and and, you know, there'll be an extra few pounds in the paycheck for the Christmas, the holidays. And they're all cheering, hooting and hollering. And he says, now raise your glasses and we'll have a little toast. And he says, Kahirika! <laughs> well, they all fell off their chairs because yeah. Kahirika means chairs, not cheers. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I've been saying Kahirika cheers. for about 40 years. <laughs> uh, cheers. I cheers. Think, I think it was Tim Schaff that told me that story. Mm. But uh, he, he does, I don't know... He does a lights out impression of you, and that's <laughs> one of one of his one of his stories. You know, it's a, Tim's a good man. Here's something fun about that. My um, my uncle, my dear uncle Antoine, who um, I you said is still Arak with and passed away from COVID. When he met oh, my brother's sorry. wife, and her name was Kelsey, he didn't know how to say the the name Kelsey, so he'd call her Gersey. Gersey is Arabic for chair. <laughs> so, <laughs> he was calling. Where her was chair. she from? Uh, where was she from or he he's from uh, Lebanon in Tula Batroon Lebanon, uh, Lebanon where oh. like my, uh, where my parents are both from and um, but they're both I've, from Lebanon yeah and I have a um, condo in Batroon that I, I would like to visit more frequently but I haven't been there since my um, we did a reception in Lebanon as well three years ago when we got married but um, yes is your wife so, from there nope she is from St. Paul St. Paul yeah. Oh, yeah have you met my friend Valid Sirhan Valid he runs the pubs. He was a partner. Of I know pubs. the name, well, so that's well, yeah. Is, uh, his and his wife is uh, from Lebanon. They're both from. Uh, well, he was actually born in Chicago, but his parents are both Lebanese. Sure, and okay. He, uh, yeah, he we have a lot of Lebanese in, people in, uh, this in Lebanon and in Saudi, cool. but they really kind of grew up in uh, in England. So he's got all of the, the different paths. I just saw him. Don't, last don't week, think actually. I know him, but I do oh, know the story. So okay, you should yeah. meet him sometime. Well, yeah, yeah, we have. He's going over actually to Lebanon for his brother uh, Mo Mohammed's uh, wedding here. Oh, wow, I think like in a month or so. Awesome. We knew yeah. each other from the pubs, but it was great because yeah. his family would would go back for like a month or two, mm. and so I was there at the minute. His wife and kids are, are there at the moment. Yeah. So. And uh, I was working at the airport at the time, and so I would just make sure that, you know, his family was well taken care of, and the kids always had, you know, we'd sneak him some extra sweets and all yeah. that kind of stuff. It was just, it was fun, like, getting to know, because I knew him through work at the pubs, but it was fun getting to know him, like, as, like, a family person, because you just see a different side of somebody when they oh, have certainly. their whole family with them. Yeah, oh. sure. And it just, Absolutely. like, not that I didn't like him before, but it just made me like him even more yeah. after you get to see, like, the way everybody interacts with do, each other. Do you speak yeah. Arabic? I do. Oh, you yep. do? Yes. Yeah, I, oh. I learned both when I was uh, a toddler, I suppose. Mm -hmm. My parents didn't speak much English. I learned that from PBS and our surrogate 
grandparents who were our ah, neighbors. Oh, that's um, fantastic. Yeah. And it's, there's a oh, quite I worked with so many Lebanese people when I was quite in a Lebanese Saudi. Community. When I was oh, in, in, in Saudi too as well. Okay, yeah. The whole retail side of, uh, at that time, anyway, and shit, this is 40 years ago. Sure. Oh, still, I still have Bukhar and Shalah and Shwai Shwai and... Yeah. Just basic terms. Uh, These are some of the things my, like, my wife knows, and she's great with language because she's white, born in... St. Paul, but she teaches Spanish for Spanish speakers, ah. but she picks up on language very easily. Oh, so she has all lucky. the, she's, she's so good at it. She'll say things uh, to me in Arabic and I don't even recognize she's speaking Arabic. I just hear someone speaking to me. Yeah. So it's innocuous. Like it's That's just interesting. But Shwai Shwai is a great oh, one, you know, I'll, I'll like, do you want a little more gin? Shwai Shwai, you know? Like. I'll have to meet her sometime because <laughs> Absolutely, I, yeah. uh, um, I remember uh, when I was graduating from. She interviewed you. No. Yeah, my wife used to be a writer. I forgot what publication. Yep. Her name is Marnie Ginther. She um, she interviewed you. That's in your a, wife. Yeah, she. That, that's so funny that that's this is the opportunity world. for me. Yeah, she mentioned that to, when I told her you were on the program today. Yeah. She's like, "Wow, it's the first time we've both interviewed the same person because I've been a writer and she used to be a writer." Ah. She's like, "I interviewed Karen for ah, it wasn't Minnesota Monthly. What was the publication? Yeah. I can't recall." But she, yeah, she told me like, "Wow, you, oh. yep, I inter I once interviewed him." So you have met my wife. It was just a long time ago. You have kids. We do not. No. no. Uh, that's a small world. Uh, that's interesting because, you know, <laughs> I'm interested in language. Uh, well, not being able to, to speak many languages. None, in fact. Just like <laughs> uh, bad language, as we used to say. Because uh, when I was uh, in sixth class, uh, you have to do, in Ireland, you have the primary certificate, which is a national exam. Every kid in sixth grade, before they go into the Secondary school is right. called, but the equivalent of uh, junior high. Sure. You take this national exam on the same time, the same day. And when I was did mine, now over 50 years ago, uh, uh, John Higgins, he, uh, singing, you had to sing a song as well. And I started to sing, and he told me to sit down, and he gave me an F. <laughs> <laughs> God's honest truth. <laughs> wow. So I come to America and I'm here and I'm driving on 94. I can remember it exactly. I mean, it is probably, uh, uh, I would say, probably around 88 or 89. So I'd only been here a year or two. And there's a woman on, she's a professor, don't remember her name, from the University of Minnesota. And she had gotten a PhD, and it was at the University of Minnesota, and it was on the notion of tone deafness. Mm -hmm. And it was that tone deafness does not exist clinically. You're somewhere on the continuum, like athleticism and so sure, forth. Sure, sure, sure. And okay. the number one reason why people think, this goes back to wimpy and all putting people down, the number one reason why people think they can't do something is because somebody put them down as a kid. Yep, and sure. they're stupid or yes. they're whatever else it is. Number one, doesn't really matter. And so I have had an unscientific um, uh, research that I've done for many, many years. When I meet somebody who is not from America, they could be from, I don't know, Nigeria, Chile, Namibia, and... They've lived here longer than five years, and they still have their accent. I ask them if they can carry a tune, if they can sing. Not 100%, but invariably, high percentage, say they cannot. 
because they don't have a good ear. And I don't have a good ear for picking up sound because if you keep your accent, I've been here 35 years and so I've been out of Ireland for shit, over 35 years. Mm. And you keep your accent because you're not mimicking what, how you speak. Sure. How you speak. And I'm I'm not mimicking it. I'm the opposite. Right. So I don't pick up I don't pick up the sound. Yeah, okay. Or ear for it. That that actually that tracks with me and I know this is just anecdotal, like not scientific, but um I'm the opposite because I'm so obsessed with music. I think that I listen to things all the time and I'm the one that when I'm traveling other places I'll start to mimic their their speech patterns or their accents. And I don't mm. realize I'm doing it. But if I'm in England for more than a day, all of a sudden I start speaking with a British accent. <laughs> it, like it just it just happens. Like uh, we've talked about it on the show before. The worst one that I feel the most embarrassed about is when I'm in Norway. I start speaking English with a Norwegian accent, uh, and it yeah. drives me crazy because uh, I'll hear it coming out of my mouth. I think that's a little different because let me to interject. When I'm in Lebanon and I'm speaking English to my cousins who. Speak speak English as well, it almost feels like if I'm doing it that way, it's easier for them to understand me, which is probably bullshit. Yeah. But I'm not doing it because I want to sound like them. I'm doing it because I think I'm helping. Sure. But I catch myself doing it. I'm like, this is probably not helpful. <laughs> but I wonder if it's the same thing for Could you. Could be. It's, it's purely yeah. subconscious to me. Yeah. Like Jenny's usually the one who points it out. Mm. Um, you know, I was just recently in Atlanta <laughs> and same thing. Within a day or two, all of a sudden, you just get a little You're bit a southern of a southern accent. Oh, my just, God. And it's like, I hate it. Do I, it now. <laughs> well, Do I mean, what would you want me to say, Kieran? I'm just here just trying to have a good time. We're drinking some whiskey. I'm drinking a little having whiskey. Having some fun. You know, just <laughs> doing what we do. It's all, it's, it ain't no big thing. You know, bless your heart. We're is just it here. more accent or turns of phrase? It's accent, 100%. It is? Mm -hmm. Also turns of phrase, though, I bet. Well, it's just fun. Yeah. <laughs> Right. So you're anytime like, somebody else has really, a fun turn of phrase, man. I want to steal it because oh, we we are spectacularly uncreative sometimes when it comes to the way we say things. But uh, how many days before you put spurs on? Yeah, right. Mm. <laughs> haven't done that yet, but <laughs> no? I haven't spent enough time in Texas. Okay. So you're gonna need at least two weeks then. Well, cheers to whatever right. forms of yeah. tone deafness we have. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Languages. Oh my God, it was. It's the one thing I would say if I could just if I had a magic wish or whatever you call it a, a wish one wish that i could speak any language it it's incredibly yeah. Yeah. opening when it's your, it's your connection to people yeah so it is, absolutely you know, yeah our teacher the uh, the principal of the school father uh, patrick costello he spoke seven languages it's amazing and god love him i'm sure he was tortured with me but i was good he used to drive me to uh, athletics meetings because i was decent enough in the 800 and 1500 and uh, he was always very nice to me uh so he was but i'm sure he used to rub his head or shake his head and say what an idiot with the, <laughs> lang with the languages. This fella is completely... Amadon, Amadon in Gaelic means uh, idiot. You know, Egypt. Yeah. <laughs> Egypt, we said. Egypt. Oh, that's he amazing. That fella is going to... He's going to end up now drinking Red Locks whiskey, he probably said all yeah. those years ago. So, you know, that's how it's going to end up. He saw this coming. He just didn't know you were going to be he in charge. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Oh, oh, fun stuff. All right. So uh, one of the things that I've noticed when I've traveled is that there's an Irish pub almost everywhere I've ever been. There's and I can tell you when that, is, when that started. It started with two brothers from County Mayo who opened up Kitty O'Shea's Irish pub. They had one in Dublin, 
uh, very successful one in Dublin, and they opened up one in Paris. Sure. And would, that was the beginning. And, and there then was a guy, uh, McNally, uh, who started a uh, business uh, manufacturing them. Sure. Uh, and that was the Fadol guys. Well, so I've, I've oh, that's always... That's interesting, because they have such a specific aesthetic. You yeah. Know, like, Very specific. Yeah. Well, I opened uh, the local downtown Minneapolis uh, right about six months or so after they opened the first Fado in Atlanta, Georgia, in Bucktown. Sure. Buckhead. Buckhead, Buckdown, yep. Buckhead. Mm. A neighborhood yeah. I know very well. I used yeah. to work for uh, a couple guys opening up bars all around the country that were from there. Was, what was that? Um, the Rira guy? It was, it was um, Buckhead Saloon, and then the Lodge oh, Bar, and then right. Whiskey River. Those were the three properties. So we opened up, up all over the east. But the reason that I brought that up was that one of the one of the things I can always count on, no matter where I am in the world, is if you find an Irish pub, right. you'll find great people to talk to. Like no matter I how great people, but you'll find you'll people. find people to talk you'll to. Find people. Talk yeah, to I mean, people. you'll find just like a reflection of, of society in general. You'll find the good, the bad, and the in between. Yeah. So for you, is there? Do you have a favorite pub? Is there a spot that that means the most to you, or something that tugs at your heartstrings? And if so, what is it about that place? Well, usually it's the last one I was in. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. My favorite bar is whoever's serving me still. Uh, you know, I think I think the Twin City has obviously got some, you know, I was over at the Dubliner the other day, and it was fantastic. And, uh, you know, I had, uh, well, Dermot was drinking a glass of red wine, as is his wont. Yes. Uh, and I was drinking mm-hmm. Red Lots at O'Donovan's. <laughs> and uh, then I had lunch at the local last week and you know i mean i think what is it it's the egalitarian the public house the egalitarian uh, gathering spot uh i would have to say if i had to pick a pub that i was unrelated to and that was not here in the twin cities sure. as well because you know you go into mcgovern's and mcgovern's over in st paul has the heart as well of the public house i mean pat is Kelly, his daughter, and stuff. I mean, they're fantastic people, and you know, it is it is that they know the people yep. that are going into. They know yep. their customers, yep. and so forth. But if I had to pick one, it would probably be Slattery's in Dublin, uh, Slattery's of Rap Mines. Now, Kathy, who works with me uh, on Redlocks, her family owns it, so full disclosure. <laughs> but uh, but the reason I say that is, I remember when I was a kid. Well, I was. 19, uh, what was I, no, maybe 21, living in Dublin, and I lived around the corner from Slattery's. And, you know, I'm a kid, and I used to go into that pub. No food, Mm -hmm. peanuts maybe. (laughs) Maybe. No food, and you're going in there for pints, and it was always about the conversation. Sure. And that was very early in my life, you know, I was just like first time living in Dublin. And that was, it was, who's here? <laughs> Who are we going to talk to? Let's have a chat. How's it going? What's your, oh, where are you from? Oh, what's going on there? Jesus, did, did you see? Oh, yeah, the weather. We'll touch on that for a second. <laughs> um, uh, did you see the headlines in the paper this morning there about such and such and such? Can you believe those Egypt politicians? And then, <laughs> and then one thing leads to another and to another drink, and, you're having, and, and you have a human connection with yep. people. Yeah. And it's a great feeling. It's what I've always loved about great the bars. Great feeling. Yeah, That's great feeling. There's no pretensions. Yep. None. 
zero pretensions, you know, because if there are pretensions, you lose the connection to mm. the human spirit and the human connection. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. Charles, what about you? It, it's actually quite funny that you said the last one you've been to because I think that is my faithful answer. I haven't really had, uh, and I love Irish pubs when I'm in pretty much any city that's somewhere I know I can be comfortable. I like a dive bar. I like an Irish pub. If I'm in New York, it's not hard to find a nice Irish pub. It, it's funny in Lebanon, any bar that's not a club is called a pub. <laughs> they just call them pubs. Um, they're not all Irish pubs, but that's what they they're call pubs. them. Recently, when Marnie and I were in Chicago two months ago, thereabouts, uh, we were at Longman and Eagle. We had a few too many drinks for it being as early as it was. We were walking back toward um, our friend's Jeb and Eden's place. We just figured, hey, it's a beautiful day. It was starting to get warmer out, and it was about like a 1.3-mile walk. Well, I decided to smoke a cigar, and cigars make me have to pee. Interesting fact. No one needed to know. (laughs) <laughs> but I tried to go into like three gas stations and hate to break it to you. But if you're in Chicago, you really can't use a bathroom no. in a gas station. And we ended up uh, seeing this back end of a patio that said Fuller's above the door. And it was Maybe. an Irish pub. Oh, it was. And um, I, I believe it was an Irish pub. I may be mistaken. It could have been. Well, it was called Fuller's. Yeah, it, it, I suppose it could be English as well. But uh, we ended up coming around the side, walking in. They were open. It was about noon. There were only two people sitting at the bar. It was, like, not the prettiest bar on planet Earth, but um, there was, a pian- like, a small piano in there and a drum set and a full back bar, and they had your whole assortment of Irish whiskeys and, of course, your, you know, the beers that you would mm-hmm. expect, like Innocent Harp. And uh, I I used the restroom, which was a godsend, and then came out, and I was like, I'm happy to give these people my business. And the bartender was an absolute delight. She was, you know, in her 50s probably and was like a career bartender and was like so kind to us. And um, the two gentlemen who were sitting just down the bar from us also were like very interactive. Like they wanted to talk to us. There was a, the guy busted out a map of like a bunch of things that were happening around town. Like, <laughs> Because we told him we we're from Minneapolis, even though, you know, bless his heart, I go to Chicago all the time. But he's yeah. showing us, like, where this particular uh, museum was that we could go visit. And even just that interaction. Uh, so my, an- my answer is, in fact, that I, you can just walk into a pub and you're going to run into people who are just having a good time. Sometimes, yeah, it is for better or worse. Kieran's right about that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're running it. You might want to scoot a little further down the other way. Yep. Or get a get a booth, or maybe walk to the next one down the road. But I, um, as with my my answer regarding like what makes me feel like I'm at home when I'm traveling, it's always people, yep. and like those are places where I think people are there and ready to Correct. interact with one another. And I think that's why I often prefer, especially if I'm by myself or it's like early in the day and I'm with Marnie. If you go to like a nice cocktail bar, you're not going to talk to anybody yep. that's at the next table. But if you go into a dive bar or you go into a dive pub, people bar. are like just open and loose and, you know, eyes are darting around. Yep. And if you say to someone like, hey, cheers, and, and, and I would they'll cheers you back. Too, like a dive bar or a pub versus a sports bar. Yep, because sure, sure. Sports bars, yes. yeah, people can connect what it's about, what's on the TV. Yep. Sure. Versus. Yeah. I totally agree. Did you see about the, the new um, women's sports bar that just opened up in Portland, Oregon? No. Huh. That's amazing. It opened up two weeks ago, and it's um, it's called the Sports Bra. 
NRA versus okay. Bar. Okay. <laughs> we support the women's. Yeah. We support women. That's fantastic. That's dope. Uh, why don't we have more of those? It's only because uh, the woman who started it was a lovely piece that I just read, and she uh, was watching last year or two years ago, double uh, NC double uh, mm-hmm. um, sports women things, and they were in the sports bar. And they wanted to watch it. it. was the final. I don't remember exactly the details and so forth. But the sound wasn't on, and they wouldn't put the sound on or something like that. And oh, sure. And she said, oh, really? Oh, yeah. And so she said, I I'm going to open up a sports bar oh, for women's sports. And the place was packed, which is fantastic. That's How clever was that? That was. But that's, that's solving your excellent. own problem. There it is. Yeah. Solving your own problem. There you go. Mm-hmm. Right Absolutely. There, right Give it a shot. Right. No, yeah. you're right. The sports bars usually are like very insular, except for if the team everybody enjoys scores, then everyone slaps a five and then just goes back to yep. the tables. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, usually, I mean, there can be sports being played at a pub or at a dive bar, but it's never actually about it's the sport. It's not usually the focus. It's, you, it, it, the, it's 1A, 1B mm-hmm. at a pub or a dive bar. 1A is we're here to drink. One B is also there's a sport on yeah. the TV that we're that we enjoy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, uh, it's a little bit of a cheat because I I will always have a fondness for Kieran's because that's where I met my wife Jenny, and I like the fact that I can still go into the bar and I can still sit and I can see the exact spot she was yeah. standing the first time I saw her, and that will never not feel great to me. And full disclosure, the original Kieran's location is would be historically my favorite. Yep. Irish pub, but today that's not. Yeah, qualify. I can't but I feel like I feel like it's <laughs> cheating to, to say that yeah. that that yeah, yeah. because of my wife that, that that's so. If I had to pick another one that I didn't work at, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. there is an Irish pub. This is the first time that I realized that Irish pubs are kind of everywhere. There's an Irish pub in Gamla Stockholm, in like the the old part of town. Um, like there's a there's a, a delineation in the middle of the city where once you basically cross this road, you go into the part of Stockholm that's been around since the 1400s. So it's all these beautiful old buildings, all old stone, and there's there's an Irish pub there, and it to this day is still one of my favorite memories. I sat down and started talking to the bartender. The bartender was an expat from Dublin. We were having a good time chatting. These two guys come in, sit down next to us, ask if uh, they could watch the rugby game. And so they put the rugby game on, and these two guys sitting side by side, one guy starts giving his play-by-play commentary, and then his buddy was uh, doing the Gaelic version of it. And the two of them were going back and forth, and I was fascinated because I don't think that they were saying the same thing yeah. because the guy, the guy that, was, that, that I could understand that was just speaking English, would um, he would talk for like a paragraph, and then the other guy would say like three words, and then they would reverse. He would say, oh, that's a great hit. And then the other guy would then translate forever. And I was just fascinated. And they weren't doing it for anyone else. They were just having a blast, the two of them. Match was done, and they looked over and saw that I had been watching, and then we just started talking. Four hours later, we had exchanged email addresses, and we kept in contact for like 15 years after that. And I know that there are experiences that people have in other bars like that, but that type of an experience seems to happen to me at almost every single Irish pub that I go to, no matter what city I'm in, no matter what country I'm in. What's the common denominator? Well, I mean, I'm open to a talk. <laughs> I've been known to chat. You're a there. Or two. You're yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. It really is. Mr. Ben. <laughs> but 
I, I think that it's a, it's a slightly different experience than it is at other bars. I think usually because when I'm in another city, I'm going to those other places for a reason. I'm going to try and get this cool cocktail or I'm going to try and try this specific type of food. But Irish pubs have always just felt so welcoming when you walk in and you can kind of like, no matter where you are, you also kind of know what they're going to serve. Like you're going to be able to get a beautiful pint of Guinness. You're probably going to be able to find some Irish whiskey. Like it's, well, you're not going to be intimidated. Right. Yeah. yeah. And there's, I think there's part there's of no that pretension. too. There's none of that sort of stuff. It's just, you know, come in. And then it comes down to honestly, who are the people that are actually working there and do they actually have that sense of, uh, humanity that hospitality sure to be able to extend that because at the end of the day i mean that is the connection yeah the rest of it is four walls and shit stuck up on the walls you have to have good clean lines for the beers mm -hmm. and all of those and a good selection and value has to have value if you're going to be the public house the egalitarian gathering spot you better be good value as well I, uh, if we if we ever do get a chance to to hook up with the lead at some point, Charles, I do have to give him credit. It was uh, I think it was right before COVID hit. It was we we finally we we hit all kinds of stuff all around Kieran's when when we left, and they finally took down the last of the stuff. <laughs> there was a, the last of what? We we had we we had some some funny framed pictures. Oh. We had a couple pub glasses. We we left our mark there, and and it stayed for I guess for the better part of eight years. Stuff was hidden around, and it finally, finally got taken down. So it's no longer, it's no longer our little marked pub. Uh -huh. There's one framed picture of uh, Morgan that oh, he yeah. did for yeah. I don't even remember what the spirit was, and we put that one up. That's the only thing that, that still remains, but it will always feel like home to me. Uh, always... So when are you doing a tour of Ireland? Uh, that's actually Jenny and I are working on that right now. The first really? trip, yeah, the first trip that we have to check off, we're both. That, is honestly, that just literally came up the top yeah. of my head. No, it's it's I honestly. Have, I had no insider clue to this. <laughs> so we're Jenny and I are both taking our mothers to Norway. Um, oh no, I meant that you're going to bring a whole group to Ireland. Well, a that's what we got to figure out. No, Jenny and I just been. we just want to do we we want to do a, a tour, and we thought. We'd rather do it sooner because we have so many connections with friends and, and with you. Yeah. And there's so many people that we know that could actually like give us a really nice, like, I, I don't care to do all the touristy stuff. I would actually just like to feel like, you know, just cruise around and actually like go places that people who live there would go. And we just thought sometime probably in the next year or two, where we want to do that, and she's um, she's never been to uh, anywhere in the UK, so probably do Ireland and then cruise over to London and maybe up to Scotland. Yeah. I don't include Ireland with the UK though. No, no, no. Don't I mean that mistake. I'm I'm just saying yeah, in addition to that. Yes, that's how the fight will start, and then then it, it, I mean really, you've got all of us, and uh, you got a Lebanese guy in yeah. Ireland. Yeah. I mean that's really that's a shit, that's a shit show. Yeah. So it is. Yeah. <laughs> Well, no, no, and, but there are also some great, um, there are tourist things that are great sure. in every location, yeah. obviously. So there are, you know. It's just if we have a chance to to get some advice from from folks that would send us somewhere that they truly love, I think that that's worth it. And I'm fortunate enough to have been to England, I think, four times, but she hasn't been. So we figure if we can get two weeks off, you know, spend a week in Ireland and then spend the other week kind of doing uh, Scotland and, and England. Very good. Well, so. You know what we have? Uh, I've got a, uh, a young fella <laughs> coming here uh, uh, on the 6th of July. Sure. 
Sebastian Scott Watson. Sebastian is uh, Seb, is from uh, Kelso, the borders of Scotland. His father, Michael, is uh, uh, farms big farm there, growing barley for Diageo and all mm. their whiskies. And um, his mother is from here, Betsy, and she's a family friend. And uh, she grew up here. And uh, she is one of my favorite legendary stories of all time. Uh, but he's coming here to work with us. So we've got a Scottish guy who is going to be out promoting Irish whiskey. <laughs> Redlocks Irish whiskey. And he's going to be in bars and liquor stores saying, this Irish whiskey is better than any Irish, uh, any Scottish whiskey and Irish whiskey that's out on the market. Oh, I love it's it. great value. I've been... <laughs> he's, a, he's a senior in college and he's in, I think it's in Newcastle's. Going to come and work with us for the summer. I've been obsessed with going to Scotland since I lived in Norway. My director of my program was uh, a glass Glaswegian. Is that that's a person from Glasgow? Yeah, yeah. She was a Glaswegian, and she was one of the funniest human beings I've ever met. And every time she got drunk, when we had a really long week, we'd go out, we'd have some pints. She called everybody Jimmy. Just she'd forget your name instantly. It was, everybody became Jimmy, Jimmy after okay. the second drink. Mm. And then she would just regale us of tales about what she missed about <laughs> Glasgow. And I've been obsessed with it ever since. And I just feel like I got to go. Well, it's a fantastic country. So it is, of course, our Celtic cousins. But I got to tell you Betsy's story. Yeah, please. So Bets, Betsy is uh, Sebastian's, uh, Seb's uh, mother. And so Minnesotan, born and raised met Michael, her husband, farmer from uh, Scotland. Now she's Campbell. Her last name is Campbell, so Scottish. Uh, when she was in high school uh, with my wife, uh, Lisa, and um, they're, well, actually, they were in high school and they were friends. But Betsy was with a different friend, and they were over in St. Paul, and they're downtown, and they're going along the street. They're like 17, 18 years of age. And there's a guy... Young enough guy, uh, so he wasn't an old fella, and he's on uh, the street, and he's panhandling, mm -hmm. begging, but he's got a lot of tattoos, and Betsy says to him, he says, well now, you're begging for money, uh, you have all those tattoos, where did you get the money for those tattoos? <laughs> and he said, San Quentin. And she says, oh well, how did you get the money to go to San Quentin? <laughs> <laughs> it's lovely in the spring. <laughs> well, I think maybe her family had been used to going to St. Thomas yeah, and St. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> fucking island in the Caribbean. <laughs> I, I, we, we summer in San Quentin, as you do. Yeah. Oh my God. That's, That's amazing. Yeah. I tell you, if, oh, uh, I love that. Uh, sometime, if uh, whenever Betsy is back here, she was back here uh, oh, uh, in the uh, spring. Um, you should have her on a podcast. Love it. She is one of the funniest people I know in the <laughs> world. Yeah, and she's got all this American and Scottish <laughs> stuff down at this stage. What, <laughs> Betsy, what's your favorite thing about springtime in San Quentin? Yeah. <laughs> summers in San, yeah. summers in San Quentin. It's delightful. <laughs> Cheers. All right. Launch Cheers. Gersi. I'll say it in Arabic. Skol. I think it's Which you. is always kind of close to cheers in Arabic, which is kasik. Just kasik. Good health. 
Kerse, good chair, right? Kerse. That's so great. <laughs> he called your brother's yeah. wife a chair. Yeah, right. <laughs> or the other one, he would also say calcet, which is socks. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he couldn't get Kelsey. Uh, I love it. Kerse or calcet, that's pretty funny. All right, where are we at here? All right, okay, Karen, I'm going to say that you're the... The, in, a, in effect, you're the Willy Wonka of this food wonderland that is known as the food building. <laughs> so much has changed in recent years with uh, personal people's relationships are with their food sources, which is a great thing. What new developments in uh, local craft food production do you see over the horizon or do you hope to see someday soon? Well, I would say the most encouraging thing that I have seen over the last two and a half years has been the number of young, very passionate, committed, smart young people who are leaving large companies, mm. who, well, yeah, Fortune 100 companies in the food world, and they're starting their own businesses. I'm connected to quite a few of them. Uh, people like Alex and Andrew with Busy Coffee, brilliant guys, how they've navigated and figured shit out. I mean, honestly, they're, yeah. they really are an inspiration to me. People like Ryan and Michael with Simples, uh, they are the Schwans for the millennials. Mm. The quality of the product that they're producing with their frozen soups frozen pizzas, and it's going to expand beyond all of this. The sourcing of those things, the integrity of the product, and it's home delivered. Uh, and what they have done to, you know, change the business model with yeah. COVID coming. And they're young guys. I mean, they could be earning five times what they're making right now working for a Fortune 100 company. Sure. But they believe in what they're doing. I mean, it is people like that that is hands down the most encouraging and the most exciting thing that I've seen. Love it. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm not the Willy Wonka, but I, I've really been, <clears throat> social media can be brutal. It's, no, I won't tell you, I'm the Willy, not the Wonka. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Fair, fair, fair. <laughs> But what I've what I've loved is if you can use social media for good, it really does a lot of good. Mm -hmm. And I have seen in the last three or four years, and it really, uh, I think, Kieran, you hit it on the head. It really kind of jumped into hyperdrive when COVID hit. But um, all of these little organic groups of people who have found each other where, um, like, I'm a member of a couple of them on Facebook, where it's different farmers with different things, and they'll just throw out, hey, this is what I have to offer right now. You know, I have two cows that we're going to slaughter. Does anybody want to sure. grab a quarter, a half of a cow? And then creamery started getting involved, and then milk delivery became a thing, and then cream and butter along with it. And now produce is getting involved too. And it's literally yes. cutting out giant grocery stores and saying if we can bring this directly to you would you you know would you pay this price do you feel like it's worth it and I don't know 10 years ago if I would have believed that that was viable right. but now it 100% is and and my wife and I are a part of it 
it's really, I, I'm incredibly, incredibly optimistic when I look at things like that, where people are realizing that you don't have to go and get something that's triple wrapped in plastic that's been flown halfway across the world when you can just look to your farm down the road. You know, like the, the fact that a lot of these folks, you know, they'll just say, hey, can you make it down to the farm? Yes, 100%. And you get to have that connection. And that connection to that land and to those farmers, like it makes it real for me. Like when you buy something that's prepackaged at a grocery store, don't get me wrong, I, I know that we still need those things, but there's no connection there. You're just getting a thing and bringing it back. Especially in food, you know, food well, deserts. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if, not and if you're, if you're going around and you're slicing everything, like, that's one of the great things that Mike with, uh, with Red Table and that partnership that I have with him uh, was, you know, he was very anti-slicing stuff and putting it in backpack plastic, right. yep. basically. And I believe it because, honestly, can't you just take something home yeah. And have a sharp knife and slice it. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm not it's not about the, the people, but things the convenience. Convenience is important in a lot of ways because people have busy lives. Yep. They've got kids, they got all, all the different things and so forth. But there is also somewhere in between where convenience is a negative. Yep. And that is when it comes to packaging and also shipping yep. across the world, right. you know, totally. country or whatever it yes. happens to be. And so that's been really important. I mean, you know, even some of the breads from Bakersfield here, you know, okay, they end up in a bag. They have to have a bag to put it into and so forth for health reasons and all sorts of things. Uh, and, you know, the quality of the product with Bakersfield because of its stone milled, yep. which leaves so much more in the flour in terms of bran, the fiber, Nutrients. the endosperm, versus your white flour that's roller milled or whatever, which is pretty much endosperm, which is starch, which, are, which is endosperm, starch, and the sugar. Yep. And so it's like, where's the nutrients and where is the, the flavor? Labor is important as well. It's critical, actually, because people won't accept it if it doesn't taste good. Right. And so, but I would say we've seen a big uptick in local restaurants that are really looking to get um, the quality ingredients that are available locally. Yep. Now you still have to get other things yeah. that don't come, that don't grow naturally Absolutely. here or don't come out of. But we live in the area where most of your food comes from. Like, we should celebrate that. Why are we going to a giant grocery store to have stuff that's shipped all over the country when all of those farms surround us? And that's, that's what I've seen is people just going out and sourcing it and going directly to those farms. And it's changed the way that we eat. It's you know? been great to see uh, individualistic call-outs of the sourcing of various foodstuffs, whereas... You know, unfortunately, the term farm to table was like a red herring where someone could just slap that on their menu. And then you say, where did this asparagus come from? It's January in Minnesota. Yeah. You know, locally sourced from from where? where? <laughs> point, you, point to me where that tell came me? from. This is a real story that I heard about a restaurant on a local campus. Yeah, uh, I think it's great as a, you know, just to be able to take advantage of what your climate is sure. and what the expertise is that... That, um, yeah. that exists, and you know, I've always been really, um, 
grateful. I remember Mike with uh, Mike Phillips with uh, Red Table saying, "You know what? If you have a product, salumi, uh, that has so much flavor and it has a certain amount of fat in it, you don't need much nope. for a sandwich." To right. taste good and to be satiated. And yes, hundred percent. And my wife, who is a uh, dietitian and nutritionist in oncology, I mean, I remember saying twenty-five years ago, saying, "No, just balance it out. Get a certain amount of fat. Get a certain amount of it, and so forth, and just have it. You don't need much. Yep, sure. You don't need eight ounces <laughs> of whatever <laughs> exactly. else it is. Right. And I think that that's the same even with uh, with a liquid. You know." Whether it's a beer, whether it's a whiskey, whether whatever it happens to be, if you have something that's got a really good quality, a, a taste to it. Now, I'm not when I say quality, quality has to be value. It isn't, you know. I'm again the egalitarian yes. with the, the public house. It doesn't have to be like, oh my God, you know, where you're paying for the brand. So it is. No, how much does it cost? How long are you aging it? What are the different? Uh, uh, cask finishes that might be in it in terms of whiskey and so mm-hmm. forth. Okay, what's a fair price for that? We're getting a decent return on it. Yep. That's all you need. Don't buy shit for for, uh, for the brand because they spent a million bucks on a bazillion bucks <laughs> on promoting it. Totally. To give you a, a brand right. or an image and so forth. Yes. Go for the value. I love that. Yeah, go for the value. And we've talked about it numerous times on the show. You're putting it in your mouth. Like, why wouldn't you want it to be good? Right. Like, you're literally putting this inside of you. Why wouldn't you want to care a little bit about the quality of what's going in? Any product, I don't care whether it's food or a beverage in this situation for us, uh, in this conversation, you put it in your mouth and forget about the brand and say, do I like it? Yeah. Yeah. Does this taste good? If you can. If you're putting it in because of what the brand says, <laughs> well, that's, that's a, you're that, being deluded. Some of the, um, you know, there's some of the trappings of like what I do for a living is that sometimes you tell someone what they should like before they like it. And fortunately, a lot of people fall prey to that. I would like to say for better or worse, because it's partly how I make a living, but yeah. I, it's all, sometimes it can be unfortunate that someone can be led to believe that something is good before they enjoy it, and then that actually amplifies their experience. So it's the tasting with your eyes, but in like much further ahead of when they actually have it in their hand, because marketing can accomplish that. But then the beauty is that if you have some limited marketing for something that's already pretty good, then that's, you know, then you have all the facets of good value, good quality, good marketing. If you can get everything, Mm -hmm. that's like the perfect potion. But sometimes you have substandard products that heavily rely upon marketing, and then people are, in those cases, deluded to believe that they're enjoying something that is of high quality, but it isn't. And then you know they've made their their margins are much broader. Yes, because they probably didn't spend a whole lot of money on this product outside of the marketing. Well, I, I think about it as it relates to music. Yeah, I. You could take 100% of the people that are out there on the planet. And if they had to pay for music, let's say. Mm-hmm. But now you do have to pay for music, like to listen to it on Spotify. But specifically music. If they had to pay for it, do you think that they would pay for a brand of music versus music that they really liked? think they would 
100%. Yep. They would absolutely not yep. pay for it. Yep. They would not pay for something based on the brand. Yep. Oh, sure, sure. You know, yeah, I like listening to this music because you got to experience it all mm -hmm. the time. Oh, but people will use a product, product as a, a brand because it reflects something on them. Sure. So they've gone over the line to buy the bullshit. Just pay for the stuff that you really like. You love the taste of the product, the sound of the product, the feel of the yeah. product. Yeah. And then, you know, if that happens to be a brand that reflects who you are, what your, your, your values are, and your aesthetic and all of those different things, fantastic. Yep. That's sure. great. But make it a conscious decision. Yeah, yeah. yeah, sometimes that beast is self-feeding and that, like, people are led to believe what they enjoy and then they tell other people they enjoy it because they paid a premium for it. So the most direct line to getting all the best things is if someone tells you it's good yeah. and they learned it was good for marketing and then they tell you it's good because they spent a lot of money for it. It's the way marketing works, right? It's wild. I'm drinking yeah. this. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. Yes, I spent $70 on this pour of this yeah. substandard rye. It says something about me. But I, I paid the, for I it. I hate so, the fucking yeah. taste of it. Yeah. yeah. But most yeah. people wouldn't admit it at that stage. After no, no, been, they wouldn't yeah. admit it at that stage. Yeah, that's, no. it, well, that's also an unfortunate reality is you pay $70 for an ounce and a half of a rye whiskey that you didn't actually like. You're probably, a lot of people are prone to say that they enjoyed it because... Yep. They spent seventy dollars. It's called denial. They have to. But yeah, yeah. Those are interesting dynamics. That what we deal would with you say day. is that? Is that your answer? For my that? answer? No. My, I'm going to go in a different direction. I'm going to say mycology. I, I, with like, if you look at all the things that are happening in this building, with you know everything the three leches guys are doing, um, with the various inoculations and the NA stuff that they're doing, and they're really great beverages that they sell at some of my clients as well, and then you know the Alamar cheese and and all the various things that are happening in this building, the, the breads that we were just talking yeah. about from Bakersfield. Uh, I'm, I feel like uh, I'm seeing a lot of advancement just on a cursory level, just reading with mycology, with mushrooms, growing, yeah. growing mushrooms. And not just, that isn't just a food thing because there's a lot of technologies that are emerging with like mushrooms cleaning oil out of the oceans mm -hmm. and things like that. They're absolutely fascinating. But if you think in terms of... Um, growing one's own food and sustainability and um, being eco-safe and environmentally conscious, growing your own mushrooms, I think is gonna become a, a much bigger thing or having um, like smaller producers. Like we had, I don't know if they still exist, but we had like Mississippi Street mushrooms over here that was making they mushrooms and selling them at the market. Then they, yep, they got, they, somehow they just were not, at their space anymore but i love to see like the small producers of all these beautiful mushrooms of varying colors and types and i also appreciate seeing uh elevated access to some of the more bougie mushrooms now that you're seeing um farming like you know they'll do scorching so that they can grow morels things like that i'm i'm really a big fan of seeing those be like things like a, a morel or chanterelle being more accessible to people that Otherwise, wouldn't have an yeah. opportunity to try it. So I, that's something that I'm curious about seeing in the coming years here, in the next few years, like how we um, navigate the advances in technologies and having the little boxes and in, in, you can build your own like um, chambers out of a mm -hmm. plastic bin to grow mushrooms in. I want to see if that really takes hold because that, if you think about our food sources and droughts and things like that, that's somewhere that maybe we can... Um, 
cultivate like something that is a really wonderful food that a lot of people enjoy mm -hmm. with uh, minimal effort. And I think maybe we'll see some pretty cool advances in that in the coming years. Well, I can tell you that we have, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think it's challenging in terms of growing and so forth just because the time, the, the amount of time that it takes, um, the commitment that people have to make, but the volume, uh, the increase in our flower sales mm. because of the stone milling yeah. of the grain, it's been super encouraging, uh, really encouraging. I mean, we have seen it double then double again, wow. a quadruple <laughs> uh, with it. And it's just basically, I mean, we have, it, it's extraordinary. I mean, I look at, you know, there's pizza places, uh, uh, Peter from Red Wagon Pizza. It's actually his birthday today. Uh, yes, it they is. They buy all their flour from us, and they have been for years. They've been doing it. Oh, awesome. And a lot of other uh, high-volume places have been the flower now the margins are shitty on it but whatever and so <laughs> forth on it uh, but it is because of just the quality like literally the flavor and the nutrient yep. value you know and uh that's like a whole other answer you know making yep. like the having the stone ground flour or like masses that are made like a nixta but, but a lot of his customers then that buy it and that they know mm. he's getting the flour from bakersfield and their home bakers, the number of home bakers has, I mean, it's, well, we all know with COVID, it went through the <laughs> roof. So right. It did. Yeah. But it's sustained. Yep. Sure. Which is really encouraging. Yeah. People have figured out, I can get this amazing flour, and I can actually work with it and have bread here on our table at home. And you know what? Yeah. It takes a bit of time, but you know what? I'll spend a nest an hour less on the TV. Yep. Yeah. And there's, some there's, dumb a, shit there's also a I sense of accomplishment when you get yeah. to, when you get to bring that out, your house smells amazing and you're proud putting that out. Like it, yeah. it adds value to the taste, life. The taste yep. is like, you taste it and it's like, ah, my God, it's incredible. Absolutely. So it is, you know, you savor it. You don't just go through it. Do you and sell then, the same flour here that, you sell to Red Wagon? Is it like a double zero you guys make here? Or Oh, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. yeah. But do you sell it by the pound oh, yeah. in Kieran's? We sell it in small bags. Four yeah, okay. Bags. Yeah, yeah. Because I've seen the flour out there. I don't remember yeah. seeing that, but I guess I haven't really yeah, paid a lot of attention. Yeah, and I have a lot of, the co-ops are great supporters. Cool. Kowalskis are carrying. Yeah, it. sure. Uh, you know, our friends, are, um, uh, yeah, people like Cerdix and uh, cool. 44. And right. Sure. Selfishly, selfishly, my, selfishly. Selfishly, my office is right down the street, and I have a Gosney pizza oven, and I have to start making dough probably this weekend. Let's do it. So that's got the our flour. Pizza oven out there. I, I know. Yeah. When we were out there with Marco, up. I was yeah. like, we got to do that. We got to get it going. Some parties out here. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's cheers. We got one last okay. question. Yeah. And uh, okay. again, I can't thank you enough for for this time and just for having this discussion. Wait, do we have one last. It's nice to just <laughs> sit around and have a chat. Yeah. Without it even being recorded. Fun. Cheers. All right. Cheers. Cheers and chairs. Cheers, <laughs> cheers. cheers and chairs. Cheers and chairs. Lawn chairs and cilantro. <laughs> um, I'm glad that you brought up Lisa uh, because my last question is all three of us are lucky enough to have incredible partners in our lives. Uh, what is something that uh, your partner has added to your life? What is, what is something that comes to mind that... Um, 
like one of the biggest life changes from pre-Lisa to with Lisa. I know it's a loaded question. <laughs> no, it's not. Well, I wouldn't call it loaded. I would call it a very, very, uh, that is a super thoughtful um, question that I would say, uh, I would say it would take more than this. We should have started with <laughs> that, that question at the very That's beginning. That's fair. This begins the second half on. of the episode. <laughs> but I will tell you, uh, we've been married to each other twice. Because uh, we met in 96. She did a lot of the design work at, um, with Nathan Stanley and so forth, and my old buddy Henry <laughs> and whatnot at the local. Uh, but she still picked all of the, uh, the colors and the wallpaper that's at the local now yeah. still today. Um, and then she got completely fed up with me because I was starting things. And I blame her and uh, she went shopping uh, and uh, I joke with because she doesn't go shopping but uh, uh, she uh, we got divorced and uh, she went to Portland Oregon where her brother is uh, married and living they were the whole family were here actually two weeks ago which is fantastic uh, he's a doctor out there and uh, then eventually she said well I found her again and brought her back <laughs> uh, I want to say that uh, she was sending out signals yes. I found her <laughs> I came back and we got remarried and that was uh, oh my god that's 18 years ago now how long were you two apart uh, four and a half years. Wow. Yeah, four I don't, and a half years. All and the years I've known you, I don't think I ever I used, knew that. Where I used to say that, oh yeah, Jesus Christ, you were in the shops a long time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where were you? <laughs> oh, I was down in the pub, so I was, <laughs> with the lads. <laughs> but I would absolutely say she is my uh, kindred spirit when it comes to everything creative. She has the most insight into who she is of uh, honestly of anybody I mean she's kind of inspired me to reflect on who I am sure because I see how she understands and the work that she's done to figure out who she is and her creativity and her connecting dots and her passion for music I mean she goes to music eh, I don't know maybe Six times a month. Amazing. She's, you know, we met at First Avenue. <laughs> wow, perfect. Well, we met at the entry. That's uh, perfect. That's even time. better. Yeah, watching Wheelow. And uh, yeah, great story to the whole thing, but whatever. <laughs> we move on from there. But yeah, oh my God. If uh, Every week she's either at the Turf Club, the Hook and Ladder, uh, First Avenue, you name it, she's there. I might have to hit her up. I've been going to a, a lot of shows solo because uh, Jenny gets up so early for work that she doesn't go to a lot of shows anymore. So I've just been going by myself. So maybe I'll <laughs> hit Lisa sure up and see if she wants to go. And Lisa should actually <laughs> go to shows because she says, do you want to come with me to this one? And I say, ah, yeah, I'll pass on that one. So I will and so forth. But yeah, oh, she's, she, and she grew up with uh, all of the, uh, the Johnson boys yep. and uh, John Munson and all of that crew. Amazing. The Solas and uh, et cetera's. And we still get to go see them, you know? Yeah. We went to, we've gone to the Astor a couple of times now in the last uh, month. 
but it's I love fantastic. that. I love that yeah, place. Beautiful place. Oh, fabulous place. Uh, Jeff's not a bad musician himself. No. <laughs> Reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm I joking, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> if you're out there listening somewhere. Because <laughs> they'll give me shit about it. Well, of course. <laughs> Charles, what about you? <clears throat> well, the element I would say that probably Marnie added to my life post meeting her and, and spending time with her. And it was something that actually I was a little nervous about early on was, um, the dynamic of family, uh, you know, in my childhood with my father being in and out of the household and us not having any extended family. And it was just a lot of times it was the brothers, my mom and myself, you know, the, us three boys and my mom and no real extended family. It was the opportunities to have like, holiday gatherings and things of that nature were few and far between and the older we got the more it was just the four of us so i never really had a lot of uh experience with the family mm -hmm. interactions and i remember first meeting her parents and we were going to uh cannon river winery which uh was in her family at the time when mm. we met seven years ago it was a her father's cousin, I believe, owned it. I can't remember quite precisely what it was. But the day we were meeting is, hey, we're going to go over to my parents' house. You're going you're gonna to meet my parents. My dad's never liked anyone I've ever dated. Good luck. And I was, you know, that didn't bother me. I was like, okay. Partly because I was prepared to accept that maybe he wouldn't like me because also as a brown man that has often dated white women, I've often been sort of written off from sure. the jump. Sure. And I learned to accept it and not really let it bother me. But he asked me to sit in the front, which he never asked anyone else to do in his Jeep. And we got on like champs and had a wonderful time. And I remember feeling like this feels really good. Uh, but I was also a little apprehensive. But as like the months and years went on, I came to discover that that was something that uh, I really appreciated and enjoyed was having that extended family element, not just her immediate family, but their extended mm -hmm. family. And then also the integration of like my small immediate family with her immediate family for things like, you know, Christmas or Easter, things yeah. of that nature. But that's something that, yeah, that she brought to me, to my life that I hadn't had in prior relationships. I never, I'd never dated anyone. I met her when I was probably, I think 33. I would, I think I was 33 when I met Marnie. Prior to that, I'd never been with anybody where we, ha I had that family dynamic where I would like spend time with their family and do holidays and things. Yeah. So it was entirely new to me and it was uh, something that I I quite appreciated and do to this day as well. And I know that that's something also that um, Jenny's family yep. kind of gave to you. Absolutely. I don't know if that's your answer, but I know that the, you had a similar dynamic mm -hmm. insofar as those those things are concerned. Yeah, I, nice. I've, I've always felt a little bit untethered. Um, oh shit! I wanted to say to quote Vin Diesel, family. <laughs> family <laughs> everything. Yeah, I, I, it's definitely she's added that one hundred percent because her family is just so much tighter than mine ever was. You know, especially growing up as an only child with split parents, I was all over the place. But um, it's it's been wonderful to have my nephews and my niece and have two sisters that I got through this marriage. It's and they're truly oh, just they wonderful, girls. wonderful people. It's really fun, you know, like one's an accountant and one's a kindergarten teacher. So they're wildly different, but they're both fascinating and interesting in, in many ways. But for me, yeah, they're, they're great. We, uh, well, we should figure something like that out. Um, 
You know, there, there's a little bit of... of Get this um, oven fired up. Yeah, exactly. We'll have a pizza party. Well, I tell you, teachers <laughs> are my favorite profession. Yeah. And I can't even begin to fathom the amount of kindness and patience that she has to have three children and then still choose to go teach kindergarten. Yes. It is wild to me, but it's, it's what makes her... You have amazing. to operate on a really high frequency <laughs> exactly. to be able to have both of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a little bit of... Uh, Jenny and I have always seen a little bit of you and Lisa in our dynamic because there's, you know, a a pretty charismatic fella and then a woman who literally, if she puts her mind to it, can do anything. And when we met, Jenny was 23. And I don't think she had a whole lot of women in her life that she could like look up to to be like, I could do that. And when she got into the corporate side of, of the world and she started climbing her career, it was absolutely like... Lisa was somebody that she talked about as I look up to that human and I hope to emulate those things so that then when a 23 year old girl looks at me, she can feel that same way. And what, what I've realized that that dynamic has become for us is that she gives me a reason when sometimes I don't always know what my reasoning is. Like I've never, I've never had a problem giving something a shot. I'll try anything. <laughs> that fear of failure just doesn't really, I mean, yeah. I, I'll think about it, but it's never hindered me trying something, but it's, she's helped focus that because now there's somebody else that I care for possibly more than I do myself sometimes. And it's whenever I'm maybe pump faking and I, and I'm not sure if I'm going to take that mm-hmm. shot, I'll look at her and say, I want to do whatever I can to make her proud that she's my partner, to show her that, hey, we're going to keep climbing and we're going to keep doing things and we'll figure it out. And I've never, I've never had that fuel before. I've had plenty of, of partners in life. I, I've been fortunate enough to have dated a lot of folks and I even got married once and then divorced. I've never had the support that I get from her. And that is such a wonderful and empowering thing because even when I'm not sure if I can do something, I'll look at her and say, but I got it. Like, or we can figure it out. We'll make it through whatever. And that has been life-changing because that was like the last thing shackling me where sometimes I would just say, I mean, who is this going to benefit? Eh. Now it's like we're, we're a couple and we're constantly trying to make our lives better and so it's, it's not a competition, but at one, in some ways it kind of is where, motivation. yeah, it's motivation. Mm. You know, it's the thing that makes you go work out. It's the thing that makes you go do whatever you're doing. It's the thing that makes you go practice. It's whatever that is. Like she's the fuel when I feel like maybe there's no logs left in my fire. She's the one who, who brings that. And having that is something that I didn't know I was missing until I got it. You know, like I didn't realize that I was missing that from my life until yeah, you I had probably somebody. needed it and she provided it. Yep. Yeah. It was a need that I didn't know that I had. Well, and now I can't imagine I can't imagine life without that. Well the great thing is that you get to recognize that. Yeah. Because you know, if you don't recognize those gifts that are in your life, Oh, it's they disappear. <laughs> Daily they gratitude disappear. is absolutely yeah. something yeah, that is new in my world and yeah. has started with her. Didn't you do daily gratitude before you met her, though? No. 
As, hey, that was did, a masturbation. Did, yeah. Did, yeah. Did daily, oh, I'm plenty grateful. Don't he worry did, about he that. did daily gratification. Yeah, there is. Prior to right. as, as there's a little still, spin. There's Kieran. still some gratification, there's, there's, there's but there's also difference. gratitude. Right. A little spin. A little spin. That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I, you got to love a, a beautiful, serious conversation ends with a jerking off joke. Oh, Wouldn't man. have it any other yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Again, okay. putting the willy in Willy Wonka. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we should probably uh, let you go on to do all the things that you have going on. Uh, for people that have been listening, obviously, we've been drinking Redlocks this entire episode. Yes, uh, where Clearly. where should they look to find Redlocks? Uh, you know, I mean, we're, thank God for all of our great uh, friends in the marketplace, but you know, we're at... Everything from the great dive bars in the Northeast, the Grumpies, the Dusties, the 1029s, the Jemmies, the, you name it. Yep. And then we're the official old-fashioned at Manny's and so and in between. And most liquor stores, all the independent guys are carrying and supporting us. And then uh, you know what? If anybody has a problem, just... Uh, Send me an email, kierans at redlocks.com, and tell me where you want to drink it, and I'll make sure that they, uh, that, well, I won't make sure, but I'll go and ask them <laughs> if they right. do us a favor and uh, bring it in. I, is it still, is it Minnesota? Minnesota only. Got it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you have I'm two. I'm very nervous about other places. Sure. Like Wisconsin and the Dakotas and I'm, Iowa. I mean, I'm just I mean, in general nervous of all of those yeah, I'm, anyway. I'm definitely nervous about <laughs> those places. So. Uh, and you, get, you have an incredible team. Uh, I've been fortunate enough <laughs> to do a, a number of events with uh, both Jerry yeah. and Kathy. Yeah, yeah. And they're yeah. just wonderful people. Not surprising. Kathy, Jerry, Alex, uh, Greg, and so uh, we manage just to keep the books and all the crew. They're great. Yeah, if you're an out-of-state listener, it's just a, not just the Red Locks whiskey, but visiting this facility and coming to uh, Kieran's Kitchen, which will possibly be rebranded if you come visit sometime yeah. this summer. Definitely but. be Food Building Cafe and Market. Cool, so it's right around the bend. Uh, yeah, and to be able to sample all the things in this building, if you should find yourself making a trip to the Twin Cities, this is... I can't recommend it. Experiencing all the things that are happening yeah. in this building, something that, especially if you're, you know, a food-oriented individual, which many of our listeners are. <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast, yeah. this is right up your alley. Absolutely. They got a little bit of magic from kind of all the different sides of the food and drink. And these are things that people, like, if I went to others, any other city and I knew something like this was yep. there, I would want to go to there. Absolutely. You don't always know. So if you're listening to this and you might find yourself in the Twin Cities, come to here. Yeah, come to here. <laughs> As far as we can tell, we are the only urban food production company in the entire U.S. Amazing. That's truly, yeah, truly wow, amazing. Incredible. I, yeah. Well, Cheese, meat, bread, flour, botanicals. Yeah, it's like such an assortment of incredible things. It, yep. it really is Willy Wonka-esque. Yep. It's, it's our kind of playground. <laughs> it's the, yep, it's the chocolate factory. Yeah, it's the charcuterie factory. What the hell is Willy Wonka? <laughs> What's that? What the fuck is Willy Wonka? 
No Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. The, the movie. Rolled doll. There we go. Let's get a chocolate here. We need cacao. Let's get some cacao. Let's get some cacao. All right, we, we need cacao production. We're, we're gonna we're gonna give it a shot right now. Okay, let's give it a shot. <laughs> Kieran, thank you so much. This right. has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, yes. To all of our listeners out there, we yes, value you so much. Us. We love you so much. Yes. Thank you for for dialing in and listening to another episode yeah. of us. And uh, hey. Libations for everyone, baby. Cheers. cheers. Well, and cheers. Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> cheers and cheers. Cheers and cheers. Charles and Ben, thank you very much for uh, the great support of everything at Food Building and Redlocks. So Always. Cheers Absolutely. To you. It's a pleasure. Cheers. <laughs>